crashes in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially... If you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run, remember it's not how far, it's not how fast, it's how frequent. Get out there, be consistent. We're going to help. We're going to be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes with gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Simple Contacts and Squarespace. Squarespace! They're bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games. And there are many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. And also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who always insults me by calling me old when I would never call him short and fat. Oh, well. I try so hard to be his friend. Maybe someday that will happen. Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. And to uh, listeners out there, maybe live on a stream, I want to let people know in the RSS version, there will be bonus content where I interviewed composer Michael Wandmacher, who you might know uh, from doing the score for Bloodborne. So we have like a 20-minute chat that will come at the end of this episode. Yeah, very cool. Uh, your continuing series of talking to the music behind games, talking to composers who make the music, right? Yeah, and he's done a bunch of films and I think currently is working on Goldbergs, which is such a fun 80s TV show. And I love the fact that he's done some really creepy stuff like Bloodborne and then also is doing sitcom. <laughs> yeah, it's such a cool thing. Well, we got a lot of show for you. I'm kind of just holding it together. I had the flu yesterday, but uh, we're going to push through and Big reason why is because we have a guest that I've been wanting to have on the show for a while. I'm so excited. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I am thrilled to say that DLC stands for Delightful Local Crawler Man. (laughs) Because (laughs) we have the guy in charge of bringing your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man back to consoles, creative director at Insomniac Games. And if you've been around long enough you'll also remember him from egm and one up the fragile eagle himself brian intahar welcome to the show brian thank you god that nickname will not go away no matter what i do <laughs> it will not it will not go away as I, it's funny when you tweeted out the show and then that was the first response was fragile eagle i was like oh my god you gotta be kidding me <laughs> well you have you know you've made an impression on a, on a generation of gamers we did i did i have i apparently that and according to that that nickname came from the Sports Anomaly podcast where myself, Todd Zaniga, and Greg Ford would yell a lot and we blew a lot of eardrums. So that's, uh, that's, we, uh, those were the fun days when we just were figuring out this podcast stuff and talking about sports games. Yeah, oh, don't man. worry. Jeff's Squarespace ad, I'm sure, has caused a, quite a few uh, <laughs> a bunch of eardrums over there. Well, the years. thing was when we did the Sports Anomaly, we would, you know, because like, no one really paid like everybody paid attention to like one up yours or like the EGM podcast, but no one really like cared what we did on the sports anomaly. So we would just do, if you guys know Todd Zaniga, he's a crazy man and he would just rile me up and we would just go 
saying and we'd scream and do like these chants and at one point like someone like would complain that we were like blowing out their eardrums like they're, they listen to it at work and then people get mad but then we had half other people saying they loved it so we would do it more <laughs> and it just became like like at one point we actually got yelled at by um the comp like we were we were doing one of the podcasts from like the second floor or something like that and the people around us were complaining and that just made us be louder and uh it was a lot of tomfoolery but it was it's still one of the like most enjoyable things i've ever done because like no one no one ever said like oh you can't do this you can't do that we just we just <laughs> figured it out so to all my sports anomaly listeners thank you it was a well, lot of fun to that end a friend of the show and a frequent guest on our show rich grisham who does the uh the Press Row podcast, he actually, when he saw that you were going to be on, he sent an email and uh, I was going to save this for the end, but it seems like the perfect time to read it. He said he wanted to let you know how much uh, the Sports Anomaly meant. He said, a special shout out to Brian Intahar, whose appearances on Sports Anomaly so many years ago ultimately spawned the Press Row podcast, which continues to this day and led me directly into video game development with Out of the Park Developments and others. I'm now running a business with eight employees. All of us living our dream of making great sports video games for the world to enjoy. Without the sports anomaly, none of this would have happened. So thank you, Brian, along with Todd Zaniga, for doing all of that. And best of luck with Spider-Man. He oh, said, my God. He said, we, we know that if you had your druthers, you wouldn't be making Spider-Man. You'd be making the world's best lacrosse game. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was a lacrosse player. Um, I would be making a Spider-Man game over lacrosse. Trust me. Trust me. Uh, nine-year-old Brian would be very upset if I chose lacrosse over Spider-Man. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, that's, that's probably one of the best emails I've ever heard because the fact that even our little podcast could have that kind of influence. I mean, and I think that's what – which really cool about this industry is that it like, you know, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a magazine, whether it's, you know, you know, I know people who've just written into magazines and gotten a letter back. The fact that they are now, you know, people in this industry is pretty amazing. So, uh, Thank you for reading that. That's probably that's probably the best email I'll get all week. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. Well, we should, you know, before we get into the show proper, I, I do want to talk a little bit about Spider-Man. I yeah, mean, man, let's talk you, about it. You can't really uh, give us any scoops. There was a new trailer, though, that we talked yeah. about from uh, Paris Games Week, which is exciting. Showed showed Peter Parker, showed Miles Morales, showed Mary Jane. Um, anything you want to you want to talk about with regard to that side of the game yeah yeah i mean for i mean obviously it's funny when when i was at e3 we showed this gameplay trailer and everybody want to talk about story and now when we talked about story everybody want to talk about open world um <laughs> which i get you know hey you want to talk you want to try to get the you know what's next um but you know we talked a lot about back at e3 was you know for us was really important to get this across that like the best spider-man experiences are when peter's world and spider-man's world collide and it just wasn't we just want to show it wasn't just lip service it was that's what you know we're uh basing this game around and you hopefully that trailer you got more of understanding of how that plays whether it's you know obviously you know Peter knows Martin Lee, who runs the fee shelter. Aunt May works at the fee shelter. He becomes, you know, Mr. obviously Mr. Negative. You have MJ involved, and she's not just the damsel in distress. She's actually much more, like I call, a capable contributor to the story, um, much, much more of a risk taker. And seeing those kind of worlds collide. Um, and um, I guess we just wanted to make sure – and then obviously showing that, you know, yes, Peter is playable at certain points of the game. MJ is even playable at certain points of the game. And really kind of telling – not only a, a superhero story, but I, for us, 
it's since day one, and this is, I mean, literally on a PowerPoint that I could show you, it's also a human story. Um, that was really, really important to show both sides. Because I think someone like uh, Spider-Man, I think why he's resonated for so many people is it's the level of vulnerability and relatability. Yes, he has superhero powers, but he kind of, you know, has that juxtaposition when, you know, he... Peter succeeds, Spider-Man fails, vice versa. And you see that, that back and forth. And we want to make sure that the game delivers on that, that DNA. And, you know, something we've talked a lot about is we want it to feel like a Spider-Man game. I'm, we, you know, obviously it's, that's a beloved character. We want, you know, to love the character, understand the character. Um, and he, he's what you think he is, but same time also mix things up. And that's um, what you're seeing with, you know, obviously miles being in the world, MJ's role in it now working for the Daily Beagle. She's not a you know um, uh, an actress or a club owner, and then a lot of other things we still haven't talked about. I think you're going to see a balance of yes, this is Spider-Man I know, but I'm also going to be surprised at the same time. I think you know Ultimate Spider-Man did a good job of that. You know that series did a really good job, and I think we want to uh, capitalize on that because if we just do the same thing you've read exactly in the comics or we do exactly what you've seen in the movies, you're going to say, well, I've found experience that already before, so we want to do something a little bit different. That's awesome, man. I think that game is is probably my most anticipated game at this point. I, I am so thrilled to play it. Um, but just a quick side note, because you brought up Ultimate Spider-Man. What is your reaction to the Bendis news that he's leaving Marvel and going exclusively to DC? Have you actually worked with him? Have you met with him? Have you consulted with him? On I, I have. I haven't met Brian. I'm just a big fan of his. Um, I mean, I, I, I would say, you know, he's definitely one of my favorite writers I've ever, you know, especially when it comes to comics. I actually thought it was a joke. I actually didn't think it was real. I didn't actually think it was real. Even when I saw the blue, like, uh, I think somebody, if it was DC or somebody, they put like, they have like their blue background with the white font where they said they were getting Bendis. And I didn't believe it until actually I saw him tweet about it saying this is real. Um, It, you know, I, I think it's, um, I mean, obviously he's a great writer. I'll follow him um, and read all his stuff. It'll be, I think it'll be interesting. I mean, you see, he's done such a good job with Spider-Man. He's done such a good job with, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, Daredevil. I mean, the list goes on and on. As, as a comic fan and a superhero fan, I'll be interested to see which which franchises he takes on, or does he take on a bigger role beyond just comics at DC? Yeah, I want a Damian Wayne and a Teen Titans. And Teen Titans has been good for uh, a while now, but I would love to see Bendis take on Damian. And I love how he handles you know kids learning their powers. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I, th- and that's it's funny. He is, I mean. He, I would say in many reasons, he's the reason why Miles is in the game. Um, you know, I, I just think that it's just a great character and we wanted to expose more people to this character. And we thought the game would be a great way to do that. Oh, man, I'm so excited to play it. I love the fact that Miles is in the game, too. That's uh, so exciting. All right, let's get into the show proper and start the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Cool folks hanging out over there in the subreddit. I encourage you to visit and contribute, hang out, talk about the show, talk about games. Brian, you are our guest, so you do get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Oh, I mean, I would say since we are an independent developer, I would say probably it's the respawn being bought by EA. 
Yeah, I'm so glad to get your take on this. Uh, if you guys haven't heard, uh, EA announced that they are going to purchase uh, Respawn Entertainment for a whole mess of cash, including some interesting long-term equity stuff. Uh, over $151 million that they're paying for Respawn. And in addition to that, the announcement included kind of what Respawn is working on right now, which is a, another side of the story that's pretty exciting, including uh, that other Star Wars game we heard about them vaguely talk about a while back, the uh, the VR game that they announced at Oculus Connect just a couple of weeks ago, and most exciting from my perspective, a new Titanfall game. Now, they haven't said if it's Titanfall 3 or what it is at all, but it is a new game in the Titanfall franchise, which makes me very excited because I think Titanfall 2 is just one of the best first-person shooters ever. I agree. I, yeah. I, I actually, I thought there, I thought the campaign was super, super fun. Like, like I'm not, you know, when it comes to competitive shooters, I'm just uh, god-awful. I mean, I'll play them, but I'm terrible. But I thought the, I thought the campaign they put in, and their controls, like, are butter, man. It's like, you know, like, to me, uh, Destiny, you know, Bungie are the masters, and that was right up there with it. So, um, yeah, you know, it just sure. felt super. I mean, yeah, I would love to see another Titanfall, and definitely another single player Titanfall. And I think many of us, myself included, were worried that the release of Titanfall last year, as it was sandwiched between Call of Duty and Battlefield, uh, or Battlefront, excuse me, uh, no, Battlefield, uh, was. <laughs> it's funny that you don't remember. It's hard to remember which one it was, right? Yeah, no kidding. Uh, but it, 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 there was potentially a way that it could, you know, not have performed well enough to earn a sequel. And I'm so glad to hear that uh, at least we'll get some new Titanfall game. We're not exactly sure what that is yet. But, Brian, I'm very curious what your reaction to uh, being inside, as you said, an independent developer, being snatched up by a big publisher like that. Does it end up being a positive thing? I mean, there, there's a, a comment from uh, Vince Zampella, who is the CEO of of Respawn saying they're really excited about having more resources and being a part of having the things that EA can bring to the table. But I'm, you have firsthand experience with this kind of thing. What is your take? Well, I mean, yes, like, you know, we, you know, Insomniac is one of the few, you know, independent developers still out there, you know, in terms of, you know, making big console games. And if, if I'm missing like other, if I say, oh, there's more than that, I apologize if people can like rattle off everything. But um, I think for me, you know, first of all, I don't know the situation. Like, I don't know how it went down, what was going on. But, you know, I mean, it should, I mean, in all, it should, I mean, it sounds like it's a really great opportunity for them, um, especially if they get to keep working on franchises like Titanfall. Um, and if they get, they get the added, I mean, if Vince is saying they get a lot more support, that's great. You know, I mean, they're like 20, 25 minutes down the road from us. Um, and, uh, I mean, I just, I want to see more, more devs, you know, keep doing what they're doing and get the, the people resources and time they need to make their, you know, those games. I mean, like you said, Titanfall, you know, Titanfall one was their first title. They were just, you know, got, got formed and then they went a little bigger in Titanfall two. So, you know, hopefully maybe that means Titanfall three will even be bigger and, um, we'll get more. So, um, I think for me, it's, uh, just the questions I would have is, well, what does this mean for like their star Wars game? You know, I could have sworn I saw, I could have sworn someone said it was going to be a Jedi game or like, I knew that, um, the former God of War creative director was working on it. At least I think I remember seeing like a promo piece or something of him talking about. So to me, that would imply is it a single player game or, 
does that mean that's going to change now? I think those are the kind of things that I kind of wonder about. But, um, you know, see, I guess that seemed like a lot of money they got bought for. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so somebody's happy. <laughs> right. Well, uh, in Zimpella's uh, comment, he said, EA will provide us with more resources, access to new technologies and expertise that we can tap into that will help us make better games. And Respawn will retain the same creative freedom and culture we've always had. That's the most important thing. That, that last line. That's, you know, time, money, resources, great, but it's all about culture, right? I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, what you guys do, the culture you've created this podcast, you know, what we do here on Somniac, I think if that stays the same, then all that stuff is just, uh, is dessert, right? It's just icing on the cake. Um, if the culture changes, then that's where, that's, that's, that's the, that's always the concern, right? If, um, things will change. Um, but I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know. I feel like when Bioware got bought originally, we had some really great Bioware games still. So, I mean, it just, it just depends on the situation. Um, but I wish them all the luck and I hope that, um, the culture does stay the same and they do get even more time and resources and technology to make their games better. I think that's the best. I mean, that, that's the best thing we can hope for. Christian, what's your take on this? And, uh, what Star Wars game are you hoping to come out of Respawn? Well, first, this is from GameSpot, and this is with uh, Ray Mazuka from BioWare when they were acquired by EA. I'm really excited about the opportunity to integrate the great development teams we have here, the marketing teams we have here. As you said, EA is the largest and I think the best publisher in the world. And I think we can add some value to that team and that organization as a par- partnership. I don't really see ourselves not being independent anymore. We've got a goal of making great BioWare games, and we believe in EA CEO John Gattel's vision. We can't overemphasize that. We've worked with John for years. We're looking forward to keep doing what we're doing and doing it well. Oops. Right? Like, I mean, EA. Well, are you, are, you, are you saying oops based on Andromeda? I'm saying oops based on the uh, floodgate. Dr. Riccatello's no there, not there anymore. <laughs> a lot of that talent is no longer there, both on EA and Bioware side. And you never have these acquisitions come out and someone's saying like, look, man. I got paid fat wads of cash. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's going to go to crap for in a couple of months. And all honesty, my contract is only to stay on for 12 to 18 months. After that, I'm out. I really don't care. I created Titanfall. I can create a new IP. Oh, it's, Christian, it's you're business. so cynical. No, I'm not cynical. I'm just saying, of course, you're going to have only the positive press release come out of this, right? Like no one's ever going to show the glass half empty. It's going to be we're really excited. We're going to do great things. And a lot of the times that's true. But with EA recently, that hasn't been true. They have a graveyard in their backyard, wherever their current corporate headquarters is. I don't know where they move around. And they have not done well by these indie devs they've acquired. I I think the thing is, you're not going to know the results of this purchase for two to three years. Like that's, I mean, I think it's like, you know, it's it's a headline now. And then we'll have to see, you know, like, you know, what the next, you know, when the next game they make, you know, and then maybe even the game after that, um, and then see what happens. I think that's it's just a wait and see approach. You know, you hope for the best, um, and that's all you can do at this point because, you did, like you said, you don't know all the details. You don't know if uh, there was a certain other, you know, parts of the of the whatever, like you know, staying on X amount of time or um, that kind of stuff. So I just think it's one of those things you got to wait and see, but. You know, especially in someone like working on Somac, you're always hoping for the best that those guys can keep their culture and um, the talent stays. So Christian – Or even better off that their culture 
impacts other developers at EA and they, you know, they can, you know, they start, you know, they take the best lessons from Respawn and bringing them to their games. Right. Yeah, no, that'd be cool. They're the inception point. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right. uh, Christian, so uh, I think Brian kind of was voicing his support for a, uh, a Jedi a Star Wars game. That sounds awesome to me. What, what kind of Star Wars game do you hope for from Respawn? Uh, something that takes place in the part of the world that we haven't seen before. I want new corners and crevices in the Star Wars universe. So anything you want that Amy Hennig's game. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say, say so you want Amy Hennig's game. <laughs> I would love to play that game. I don't need, I don't need young Lando. You know what I mean? I, that's not what I'm looking for. I don't need Boba Fett. I want something new, fun and exciting the way the old Republic was when it came out, right? When Bioware did that, it was this new time period for the Jedi that we hadn't experienced before. And I would love to see more of that because the world is so big, right? That's what I want to see. Well, it's interesting, you know, Respawn is kind of first person shooter experts, you know, they're, that's, that's what they make. And I feel like we've got the first person shooter Star Wars. I, I'm hoping that it's a little different from that. Something, something else. I don't need, that's one of the reasons I was so excited about Amy Hennig's game was that it was going to be a little different. It was going to feel like a different genre. Um, and I, I hope they don't just flood the market with a bunch of shooters, but I think that, I mean, I think if they're smart with that portfolio, you know, I think the battle battlefront, I always want to say battlefield for some reason. Um, it, I think that, I mean, the first one sold ridiculous, ridiculously well. They have a huge player base. Um, it would be kind of, you know, I don't know, just wouldn't be the smartest move to just say, oh, here's another shooter. You're just going to take away from that one. So you would hope right. it's, you know, so, I mean, that's why I was so excited. You know, you had the, you know, you had the first person shooter from Dice and then you had, you know, Amy's game, which, you know, from the Obviously, the only thing I've read is like kind of like more of like an uncharted style third person adventure, you know, and then, you know, taking, you know, something like Titan Respawn. And if I think Stig was working on it, I'm not positive. So if I'm wrong, please don't crucify me online. You know, seeing like, you know, what would it be if someone like with God of War experience brought, you know, made a Jedi game or something like I think it'd be cool. Pretty awesome. Yeah, sure. All right, Christian, what is your story of the week? Blue Hole is going to try to reinvent the MMO, right? Like that was the big news that like, came out of uh, their studio. They are, of course, the developers behind Battlegrounds. And they've said their next game is going to be an MMO Ascent Infinite Realm. Uh, and it's going to be, what did they say? Oh, yeah, marrying a steampunk setting with high fantasy elements. That all sounds awesome. <laughs> I, I just feel like uh battlegrounds is one game and this is something totally different right they certainly have the cash well, to do it this is a very misleading headline because it's blue hole it's the guys that make PUBG ish but the PUBG team spun off and became its own autonomous group and they're still working on PUBG. they're i mean PUBG is is a 20 million selling machine at this point there's not like those guys are like let's make an mmo <laughs> no, they're, they're making PUBG, uh and blue hole as a larger group is a South Korean publisher developer that has previously made MMOs before. In fact, they made one of my favorite MMOs, Terra game. I put tons of hours in and played a lot of back when it was, I mean, it's still out, but I haven't played it in years. Um, so they have experience making South Korean uh, MMOs, these kind of, which is a very specific uh you know, a niche of a niche, really. It's like a, a subgenre of a subgenre. 
but they're very good at it. The the trailer that was released announcing this air game, it's it's um um abbreviated to air, Ascent Infinite Realm Air. Uh, looks really cool. Did you not think it looked really cool, Christian? No, I think it looks great. I, mean, I think it's interesting because they definitely tied it to Battlegrounds themselves, right? Or, or the press release that kind of went out to press, where it's this idea of it is the hottest, biggest game they currently have out right now. So they're like, hey, yeah, we're behind Battlegrounds. It's not the same team, but also like that gets attention versus South Korean MMO maker for years is making another MMO doesn't. Right. So I feel like us talking about the connection is kind of their own doing. I'm curious to see what they've learned from it. I did an ALTMM last week about what publishers and developers are learning from, from PUBG. And I'm curious how blue hole themselves are going to, you know, try to piggyback off that success into other genres. Brian, did you get a chance to see this trailer? Yeah, it just, it just popped up. I think this morning. Oh, I did. It's, it was a very epically long five minute trailer that showed a ton <laughs> yes. of gameplay. I mean, like, wow. I was like, is this like, is this game done? Like, you know, uh, I think for me, who does not have time these days to play an MMO? I just don't. Um, what are you I working wanna, on? It? I know, I know. <laughs> just, 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 just some weird guy in blue and red spandex. You know, uh, uh, I think for me it comes down to business model and uh, and which and wh- who who's their player? Like you know, like what is their business model? And then who is uh, who's this for? Is it you know? Is it something they want to go worldwide with? Is it something they just want to stay? Is it South Korea? I believe that's the you know that's where they're based. Like who? You know, for, I guess for me, it still comes down to World of Warcraft, and then there's everybody else. And uh, <laughs> like, you know, to this day, I still, you know, was it last week was BlizzCon, and I still sit there at my computer. You know, I, was, I think I was working last Saturday, and I, saw, I see the trailer. I'm just like, oh my god! Like, I still, I want to <laughs> go back into this. It's like crack. Um, totally. And does it? You know, is it? But you know, like, what's what's? And I'll be honest with you, I'm, I, you know, I, you know, I develop uh, console games. I'm not as, you know, up to speed on what's happening in the MMO market. Like, what is what is the business model for today's MMOs? I don't know. That's a great question too. I mean, they, they seem to have waned significantly. That's for sure. Um, but these things keep coming out, specifically in South Korea. I think South Korean market is is much bigger. You keep getting these, you know, uh, Black Desert Online and all these yeah. ones that have come out in the last few years. Um, this, I got to say, from the visuals that they showed, I guess the idea here is that it's a bunch of – it's this mi- ma- mashup between fantasy, dragons, sword and sorcery, and super high-tech mechs and yeah. flying airships, which is a cool idea. And the air-to-air combat that they showed looked really cool. You get these cool, like, dirigibles and, uh, you know, these c- crazy flying machines that you you fight PvP with other players and stuff. All that stuff looked really neat. So I'll give it a shot. That's for sure. Here's the thing. All I'm waiting for is for somebody to make Fancy Star Online again. <laughs> That's all I care about. Why hasn't like, that happened? Like, I know there's the PC version that's out in japan and like every week i still hold hope like there's a lot of ex ziff davis people that pretty much were born and raised on fantasy star online i still think about it i don't know how many hours i put into it but it's you know i should be locked up because of it um (laughs) but i have such a soft spot in my heart for that franchise um and uh it i would do anything to have that come out again and to that artwork. I love, I still love it. The music was amazing. The, it was simple. It was simple. Um, and probably too simple for today's standards, but 
that's all I want. Like to me, you know, like that's all I think about is like, when can fantasy star online come back? Please come do back. You, do you have any insight as to why it hasn't happened? Is there some weird rights issue? Going I don't on, know. Or? Well, if, I mean, and like I said, I'm trying to remember, I, you know, I remember when they announced that it, they were doing it for PC and it was in Japan and they talked about an American release, a U.S. release. And that just never happened. And I know like there's people who like update it with like, you know, translate it. And there's a weird way to get online. I'm not smart enough to know how to do that. Um, but like uh, I, oh God, I love that franchise more than anything. And I, yeah. so like, I mean, like, like people like Mark McDonald, Shane Bettenhausen, James Milkey, Ryan Payton, all of us, multi- more people, we still to this day talk about that like all the time. Yeah, I, I'm just surprised it hasn't happened. There's got to be a reason for it. It seems like Sega would would do well by by that. I, I know I would support it. Yeah. All right, my story of the week. It's one we've talked about a lot. I know Christian's going to be talking about Star Wars Battlefront Two in his playlist, uh, and I, we've talked endlessly about this. It's finally going to come out next week, so we'll even be talking more about Star Wars Battlefront Two then. But based on the uh, the beta, which I, as I said, Christian will be talking about. A lot of people are upset still. <laughs> We've been talking about this a lot. Loot people boxes, are upset loot about games. Oh my God. I can't what? believe it. I'm sure you never deal with that. No, never. <laughs> yeah. Never, ever. Uh, <laughs> so it turns out that some intrepid subredditor went through a uh, – pulled up a spreadsheet based on how you play the beta of Battlefront 2 and what it takes to unlock – specifically Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader as characters and reported that it'll take 40 hours each to unlock those characters that based on how you grind, what you need, the credits that you need to spend to buy those characters, it'll take 40 hours a piece. And that's if you don't spend credits on anything else, which you can spend credits on a whole lot of things in that game. So they put this out. It, it, created this big Reddit thread and EA's community team responded and said, Hey, yeah, no, that's by design. We want to provide players with a sense of pride and accomplishment for unlocking different heroes, which did not work Did not, did not smooth things over. In fact, made people more upset. Um, I'm very curious, Brian, what your take on this is. Uh, I'm sure you guys have had lots of discussions. We've been talking for weeks about this whole, like, death of single player and there has to be hooks to have long-term uh monetization in games and multiplayer is the only reason to, way to do that clearly you guys are making a primarily single player narrative game at insomniac yes. with spider-man yes there's no multi there's no multiplayer okay yeah um well i mean if you're at the paris if you saw what if you guys watched the paris games week uh at sony's press conference like you can definitely tell single player games aren't going away I mean, they're not. I mean, at least from what I know, I like. I don't know all the details about Last of Us or uh, you know the new uh, the new uh, Ghost game, but like they seem like single player experiences. And then you throw in you know Spider Man, and then you throw in De- Detroit. Um, there's God a, of War, yeah, God of War, um, Days Gone. Like, right. well, Sony's definitely supporting single player games, um, and it's great that they do. Um, it's funny. I, it's not funny, but I, I was thinking about this when I saw this was on the list today because in some ways, I think of a game like Battlefront as it's 
like it's probably super mass market, right? Like you want to bring as many, like I know people like to me, some ways like star Wars is like Madden. Like people just buy a console just to play Madden, right? Cause they're big sport, they're big sports fans. Like I know there are people who just have a PS4 or an Xbox because they want to play battlefront. That's all they'll play. So does this something like asking them to play 40 hours to unlock Darth Vader? Is that a, is that a negative? I think you totally, as a developer, you want to give people incentive to keep playing, right? I mean, that you want that per, a level of progression and reward. Is Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker the right way to go about it? No, not when you can spend $40 to get them now. Yeah, and that's a... Or whatever I mean, that, you know, whatever the money is. Yeah, well, okay, so, so, so is that the way it goes? If you spend X amount of money, you no. can just write a... Oh, you, no, so they, no. they you can't just out and out buy Darth Vader or Luke Skywalker. You can, there's a roundabout way to do it. This is obviously just the way the beta works and it's subject to change. In fact, DICE says- that No, they, not the beta. This is in, I mean, I'm playing the EA Access version of the game. That's not the beta. That is, I think that is the beta. No, it's not the beta. It's the game. Well, either way, the, what's what's playable now is subject to change. Uh, because, because, that's just because it's an online game. They're saying they can continue to tweak it as it goes. But my understanding is you can't just buy Vader. You have to like break have buy, to buy packs and then break. Then hopefully yeah. get the currency to do. Of course, you can't just buy the thing you want. You got to gamble to maybe spend the money to get the thing. No, 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 no. But but I think you you it's misleading for you to say you buy loot boxes and hope Vader is in it. You that's not how you get Vader. Right. You have to buy Vader with credits, and the only way to get credits with real money is to buy loot boxes and then break down duplicates from your. From your loot boxes, so I think it's like some three of the loot boxes steps. also have credits, uh, but it's it's a mess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, the here the thing is, I don't know, I don't know what the dev team, what what you know, how what their reasonings. Like, I don't know what the you know what the reasoning for it. I just know that right now, like the idea of microtransactions is a it's a hot hot button topic, and you know, I mean, I saw it. Was it? What was the last? What was it? Was it a couple weeks ago? It was, it was Assassin's Creed. That was another one. There was a game before that, I think. Like, it's just. I mean, I think people are looking for ways to. Uh, you know, these games are expensive to make. Um, it's just a challenge, um, and I think this is something that's going to continue to. People, are, you know, whether publishers, developers, uh, consumers, you know, the, my thing is, if you feel strongly about it, don't do it, and then you know that's when you know, developers and publishers will pay attention. So um, it's a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing. I, I, you know, like I'm, I don't really have a ton of experience in microtransactions. I, I haven't worked on a game yet that's done them. So, you know, I'm just based on a gamer, you know, I just think for something like Battlefront, when you have such, uh, such iconic things like Darth Vader and uh, Luke Skywalker, and it's being played by such a large audience that may not be wanting to sit down for 40 hours to unlock it. I don't know. It's a it's a is tricky any, thing. It's a tricky thing. Is there ever any pressure you guys feel to add that stuff into Spider Man? Uh, I haven't personally. Uh, I my my biggest. I mean, we are you know you guys know us Insomniac. It's you know it's player first, right? It's all about the player. What's best for the player? And uh, you know we have really you know frank tough conversations about that. But um, no one's ever came to me and said you have to you know make this thing you know microtransactions or whatever it is it hasn't I, yeah. I tell you what i will pay money to to have every spider-man costume yeah <laughs> probably would i would be that sucker but, but is that to me but to, to me like i don't know is that a is that i don't i don't i think like buying a let's just say like a suit which 
um, I'm not saying we're doing, is very different than spending 40 hours to play Luke Skywalker or Darth Vader, which is, you know, it's, it's, you know, or, you know, I mean, like, did people have problems when, uh, you know, didn't gears charge for weapon skins? Like yeah. that wasn't, that wasn't as big of a deal because it's aesthetic, you know, you're showing it to people you're playing with, or you just want to, you know, you want a pink Lancer for whatever, you know? Um, but this, this, this seems to be tipping in a different, different yeah. territory, I guess. What I'm saying is like, you know, cause I mean, like, like I love the Batman games. You could buy the 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 uh, the suits, right? Like you could. I remember there was like thirty. I feel like it was thirty different suits that you could uh, you could buy or you know get through pre order. But like this seems to be very different. Um, um, yeah, it's not yeah. a Vader skin. It's yeah. Darth Vader. Yeah, yeah, because like you know, and I like I said, I don't. I, I apologize because I feel like I don't want to say anything where I'm wrong here, but like Overwatch, you could buy box, you could buy boxes, right? So you could unlock, you know, get the different skins and stuff, or you could just like play along, you know. Right. I, but no one, but that didn't like you didn't get a new character like that played completely different. So I think that might be what's at least if I'm just reading the reaction, especially from the stuff you sent me, that seems to be the the sticking point is that you're 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 holding something so, and it's also. Those things are so iconic to yeah. Star Wars. Central I mean, like, to the experience. Yeah, yeah, like, I mean, you see Darth Vader and you see Luke Skywalker in the advertising, right? I mean, you see them, you know. So, I mean, it's like, oh, now I got to spend, you know. And like, but I do, but I do agree. You do need incentive to keep playing. You do need that carrot, right? Like, you do want. I mean, that's why we, you know, as a was a WoW player or whatever, you want that thing. I'm like, okay, if I play X amount of time or even Destiny, I can play that way. I get that awesome armor, that awesome weapon, right? You know, so why does that work? Why does this not work? What's what's the what's 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 the difference here? So um, well, some of the difference is is that there's another article too where. I mean, this game is pay to win, at least initially, where if you drop a bunch of money, you get these better perks for your weapon, yeah. for your guns and for yep. your ship or your so character. It's competitive balance. Yeah. Right. And like Overwatch uh, is just skins. So yeah. that's not changing or, or PUBG. Like what's yeah. your incentive to keep playing there to win? There's loot boxes in that too, but that's all just cosmetic stuff. Yeah. And the way Star Wars is doing it, and like eventually you can, you know, I could play enough and reach that level cap within game and get all that stuff. But I think what's really egregious about it, and it kind of reminded me of the Activision patent that came out a couple of weeks ago, is that when I die and I'm killed by someone, it shows me like the perks they have that helped them kill me. And I don't have those. Yeah. <laughs> I can pl- keep playing and keep getting, you know, finishing in the bottom third or whatever, you know, whatever's happening. Or if I want to get a little, I can get that double XP or that double shield bonus, or I'm, you know, making up perks. Yeah. If I just buy some loot boxes. So it's yeah. in your face in an, in an offensive way. And I think it also bothers me a little bit that it is attached to Star Wars, which is such a mass market game. Yeah. That, um, well, I, I mean, I tweeted out some, some version of, like, there's the argument that games need this to survive, right? Like, they need to find ways to make their games. Uh, profitable and the $60 thing doesn't work. But I feel like, and and I'm not asking you, Brian, you don't need to comment on this one way or the other. I'm just going to say it for our audience. Okay. I feel like thank you. <laughs> if, if that's what's required is what I consider to be abusive and predatory practices are required to keep games profitable, maybe these types of games shouldn't exist anymore. We should let them die on the vine. Like this is a big 
uh, analogy I'm going to make, but that's like a cigarette company saying, well, if we took nicotine out of cigarettes, we wouldn't be profitable anymore. You know what? Get out of here. You're, 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 we're going to advertise to kids. Who would we sell our cigarettes to? Stop it. Like there has to be a better way for people to make money and not gambling's addictive. All of this stuff is so predatory and it just feels disgusting to me. And that sucks super much. That's a bad sentence by me because so much of Battlefront 2, which I'll talk about later, is phenomenal. But I can't in good faith recommend it with this dumpster fire transaction, microtransaction crap all over it. Well, uh, that's, uh, you know, I think that's a pretty strong position to take that I'm not willing to throw out the big AAA games. I want, I want the Spider-Mans of the world. I want so do the, I, but I don't, not if they need to be sustained by what Battlefront 2 is doing. Right. Well, I mean, that's a deeper conversation with business model and, and we don't, we don't know the, the economics of, of all this stuff, but I, I understand your position and I sympathize, but I also want these games that cost $200 million to make. Like I, want the thing that looks like I'm playing the Star Wars movie that looks exactly like the movie because the tech is so But do you intense. want Battlefront 2? Do you want uh, Yes, I want those beautiful games too, but do you want Battlefront 2 where you don't get to have Darth Vader or Luke Skywalker until you spend 40 hours with it or you can pay extra I mean is like take a stand here, right? Is oh, ideally I want the 200 million dollar game for free that plays exactly the how I want it to play, right? Like <laughs> if we're just talking about what we want but like if if this type of microtransaction thing is required to sustain this type of studio development, is that a fair trade-off for you? Are you okay with that? It's, it's messier than just that proposition because you don't always just get this in the $60 boxed game. You also get this in games that let me play them for free. You know, like the whole reason I get to play games for free, like League of Legends, et cetera, et cetera, is because these kinds of things exist in the game. I mean, my favorite game right now is Heroes of the Storm, right? I didn't pay a dime for Heroes of the Storm. I, I can play it forever, but I have bought loot boxes because I like the game so much and I'm excited about the skin that came out that I want to put on my guy. I don't it's think It's cosmetic anything- though. That's cosmetic. You're not- no, you're right. You're not buying it. And, and Darth Vader too isn't just a reskin of some other powerful generic saber wielding character. They well, if your position then, if your position is just- don't make it tied to to in-game performance. I think that is not new. Like that's something that people have been saying for years now. And it's weird that Battlefront 2 seems to have ignored that. But I I don't think that's a new position. Like it's not, oh, don't make these kinds of games anymore. It's like, just have some ethical consideration that you can still put these systems in the game, buying microtransactions, buying loot boxes, all that stuff can be in the game. If it's not tied to progression, I'm totally in favor of that. Right. And so that's what I'm saying. But if this type of predatory, I mean, I think that's where it gets predatory is when it's tied to progression with this idea of, of, you know, how it limits progression that would otherwise be focused, uh, featured in a game. But I think that, that's not the same thing as saying don't make these kinds of games anymore. I, I think it's no Battlefront Two. This type of game, right? Okay. Don't make this type of game anymore. Then maybe I just misunderstood what you were saying because I, I think I think it's fine to have certain kinds of microtransactions. I don't I don't necessarily just object to the systems. It's and it's a much more nuanced position than that. It's like okay, well, don't charge for. And, and even the story that we're talking about in particular here isn't even really that either. Like Vader and Luke, 
you get because you have to grind for 40 hours, which is kind of what Brian's talking about. Like it's good to have something that keeps people sticking around and putting in hours and staying with your game. It's like, yeah, you want, you want the coolest thing in the game. You want the, the most awesome wow mount. You're going to have to put in the time and it, it'll be a, this prestige item that only a few people get. But then it's like, well, do we want the coolest thing in the game to be a thing that is central to the story of star Wars, you know, Vader and Luke. So it's a lot of different elements. I think that we're conflating into one thing and, and, it's more nuanced than that. I think the thing is, it's it's a really sensitive subject right now. I mean, it, and this may be coming this with such a big game with such a well known franchise. It's coming to a head, and it started, I would say, you know, a month or two back with some of the fall releases. You know, having the microtransactions, and now with such a huge, huge name game and publisher it's just getting um it's just becoming it's it's gonna it's gonna really come you know and obviously i mean i saw the the notes um i mean people are, are very vocal about it and that's the and that's a great thing that the, the gamers are speaking up that's you know we you know we i think that's something we want want to encourage people to keep speaking up about how they're feeling about the games and it certainly does seem like dice is listening i mean who knows how much they'll change, but it does seem like they are listening, which is, I guess, the first step. So, all right, uh, let's move on. we got games to talk about that we've been playing, but I do need to thank our first sponsor, which is Squarespace. You've heard me talk about Squarespace a lot on this show. That's because I've used it a lot and have been using it for a decade now. Uh, .com is is on Squarespace, was created with Squarespace. And the reason for that is... The Squarespace is the easiest. It's I recommend it to my family, to my friends. If you have any reason to make an online anything, a website, portfolio, a marketplace, they have really easy ways to, to add uh, purchasable items on Squarespace sites. It's so easy. E-commerce e functionality. Squarespace is the best way to do it because you start with this group of templates, award-winning templates, great looking websites, but then you can make them look the way you want it to look, make it your own. So it doesn't look like every other website on the net in very simple ways. It's all drag and drop. What you see is what you get. And you can publish uh, new content from your phone. They have uh, iOS and Android app that lets you publish content super easily. It's all auto um, formatted for mobile devices. It's just It's just the slickest, easiest way to create any online anything. If you want to make it, make it yourself. Create a website yourself. Don't pay somebody else to do it. It's so easy with Squarespace. And even better than that, we're going to give you 10% off your first purchase at squarespace.com. All you got to do is use our promo code, which is Jeff sent me, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E. When you go to squarespace.com, you can build your website. You don't have to pay a cent. You don't even have to put your credit card in. You can use their tools, build your website, Make it how you want. And then when you check out, use our promo code Jeff sent me. When you're done, when you like it and you want to pay for it, Jeff sent me saves you 10%. It's pretty great. And it lets them know that you listen to our show, which is also helpful for us. Squarespace.com and the promo code Jeff sent me. Brian, I know that you are a busy, busy man and probably don't have as much time for other people's video games as you used to, but is there anything on your playlist you want to bring up? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, yes, I have been playing a lot of Spider-Man. I've actually been taking the game home a lot. Uh, Feel free to talk about that as yeah, much it's as been, you it's, like. It's been, it's been really fun. Um, it's, you know, I will say some, it's something that I don't know if a lot of devs talk about is sometimes it's nice to take the game home out of the office and actually play it like how you would normally play a game, just like on your couch, in comfort of your own home. And, you know, because sometimes I think we, at least I do as developer, when you're in the office, you're just like, I'm just going to write down everything that's, you know, that, that we need to fix or or you get distracted and you don't really play it like everybody does at their house. So, you know, I actually do been taking the game home a lot lately and playing on the weekends. But are you um, able to, are you able to, I mean, you you played a lot of games when you were a journalist, and yeah. you reviewed the games, played the heck out of them. And yeah, are you able to still enjoy your game, or do you only see its faults when you take it home like that? Uh, I would. Oh, I, I would definitely say. I'll tell you guys a really funny story. So about two about two and a half three weeks ago, I took the game home on a Saturday. I took it home, and I was um, my wife was actually in in Paris, and she had come back from work. And um, we were supposed to go out to dinner and a movie. And so I was playing the game from like 12 to 5 at the house. And then we went out for dinner. And I was actually having so much fun that um, I, we, I was actually thinking about the game at dinner. And then she was like, hey, I'm a little bit tired. I'm a little bit uh, – I don't really know. I'm like, okay, we don't have to go to the movie. And I actually went back to the house and played it till 2 in the morning. So That's even awesome. though the, you're, you're – you know, as you know, you're, you're, you're your own harshest critic and you're looking at all the problems um, and that's just game development. You know, That's part of the thing. But for me, I always think that's a really good sign of when you – are playing a game and then when you're not playing it, you're still thinking about it. So right. for us, I thought, and that's a credit to the team of how hard they've been working. And, um, you know, it, you do have those moments where, oh yeah, you can definitely see the, you definitely forget about that. Oh, this bug happened that, cause we'll, you know, we'll clean those up. You're, I think when you're playing the game, you're looking for more fundamental things that are, and you got to coordinate with uh, people to fix or address. Um, but yeah, totally, definitely can still enjoy it. And if you need more, you know, it's so funny that you, bring, um, you, you talk about it that way because I, that is one of the criteria I always mention about games that sort of hit that next level. Like there's games that I yep. enjoy and even love, but when they hit that next level yep. of, I'm thinking about it when I'm not playing it. Yeah. That is a truly special game. And I love you know, it. And I, thanks. And uh, to me, that's when I know the team is doing something pretty special. Um, yeah. And that's, and that's a really hard thing to do. Um, and I, and I made sure to tell the, tell the guys that because th- I, to me, that's a, that's a huge victory because you know, yeah, there are bugs popping up. We're still in development. So you're going to, you know, sometimes you got to sift through all that to see it, but when it happens, that magic, it's, it's pretty special. And it's, um, you got, you know, you guys know, you guys talked to a lot of developers, develop development can have the highest of highs, lowest of lows. So you got to celebrate those victories and, um, make sure that remind people how awesome job they're doing. Uh, Christian, were you going to say something? I was going to say, I think Brian, you mentioned, you know, getting other people's opinions. I mean, I know two people that own PS4s just like off the top of my head. Um, oh yeah. Oh, okay, right. Okay, yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, trust <laughs> me, I got, it's, it's, uh, I sometimes feel like it's cruel, but I, I do it anyway when I tell people I'm actually playing from my house. Like I'll tweet it out saying, oh, I'll just, you know, spend the afternoon playing Spider-Man. And like, you know, I have like really good friends. Like I have a really good friend. Uh, his name's Joe. Um, and he lives down the road from me. Uh, and he's 
arguably probably the biggest Spider-Man fan I ever met. And uh, he's just like, you gotta be killing me. Like I'm 20 minutes away. I'm like, yeah, you can't come in the house. You can't see this. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I have, I have plenty of people who want to play the game, which, uh, you know, but I also know, oh my God, there's so many people who want to play this game. It better be damn good. <laughs> right. Right. All right. So what else are you playing? Uh, so before I've kind of gone in Spider-Man mode, uh, I played through Uncharted Lost Legacy, which I thought was, fantastic um yeah. i met uh sean and kurt they were the game creative director and game director on lost legacy at e3 and uh they nailed it i thought the writing was spectacular i thought the dynamic between the two main characters was was unbelievable i thought it was really really well done and um i thought it was a nice it showed me you don't need nathan drake in order to create a great um uncharted experience and i mean obviously technically you know naughty dogs games are Unfreaking believable and uh it just delivered it but i think for me you, you, you buy a naughty dog game you know you know how technically unbelievable it's going to be but um and the visuals are outstanding but they have their their writing is so so awesome that i thought the dynamic between those two characters i'm like i'd love to see another game with them or even yeah. one of them i thought it was really really awesome um i think they just they are masters of storytelling, and I uh, I think uh, that should be celebrated. Um, I thought that was great. And then just on the other end, well, it's funny three three thing two of the things. Um, so I also played Hellblade, um, oh, really? which I was really fascinated with this game um, uh, in the beginning because of I loved their dev diaries that they were doing. I thought it was so so awesome that they opened the doors to um, let people see what was going into the making of this game. And I thought their dev diaries um, – and I, it's funny. I'm more, I'm more fascinated with hearing uh, – since I've moved from journalism that it's just – I'm so fascinated to see how other developers do things these days. And I thought that um, seeing how that game was made and watching it, um, their development process, and actually getting a look into it um, when it finally came out, I was just more curious of like, okay, how did it turn out? And I think that um, – you look at that game now that's obviously not as big a budget as you know you would see you know you know from maybe one of their other games or you know like an uncharted or something uh, at least that's what it seemed like but how you know high high production values it was yeah. and just what sometimes when i think some of the magic that happens uh with development is when you actually have uh restrictions limitations and what you can do with that, um, you know, obviously, All art. yeah, exactly, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, it, yeah, it's a great point, especially in movies. Um, and uh, I think that that was just a testament to all the stuff they did with audio. I thought was like when I finally heard it on my stereo system, and I was like, "Whoa, what is going on here?" I thought it was, I thought it was really, it was a really great way of telling a story without, you know three hours of cutscenes. So I thought that was really, really, it just brought you into the world so well. Um, and then the game I've also been playing that I don't have enough time to play it because it's one of those games that it's like crack is destiny too. Like my best friend is the creative director on it, Luke Smith. And, um, I, I mean, it's funny. I talk about fantasy star a lot. There's definitely a fantasy star online element to destiny, but it's obviously a first person shooter. And, um, I, j I just know it's like, wow, for me, I know better than to get myself into it because I will never get myself out. But I did like spend like one weekend, like really getting into it. And like, I just kept texting Luke about how awesome it was. And, um, <laughs> awesome. I think that, um, that's just that to that game, to me, their, their sandbox is for a first person shooter is just unbelievable. Um, 
uh, I just I just think they're con- like I could just play their con- their controls are just so top of the line um i think that the art was fantastic i think that um they think they made the game a lot more accessible than the previous ones like i feel like they definitely took all the lessons they had from destiny and from all the different expansions and updates and really made um uh, a game that could bring a lot more people into it um it wasn't as it wasn't as it wasn't intimidating you think that you appreciate different things about games now that you are making them than when you were a journalist? Oh, you have no – oh, my God. So I will tell you, it's funny. When people ask me about Destiny, I'm like, oh, my God, the, the, their network, their networking code must be like the greatest <laughs> thing ever. And people are like, what? I'm like, I'm like, you think about it. You don't think about that game in terms of like, oh, I got disconnected. Like I don't ever think about it. That's how good – like a game like that should be – busted all the time like it should not work it should never work but they are engineering ninjas there that just like to me that's a huge thing or like um i remember i'll tell you guys i gotta came with tell tell you guys a story so when i remember when resistance one came out i wasn't at i was still at egm and i think i asked uh i emailed the community guys james and ryan about resolution and i was like well can't you just patch that and i was just like and then, like, when I finally got into development, I understood, like, what goes into, you know, picking, you know, 1080 or 720. And, like, that's when I got in. And, you know, it wasn't even, like, 4K yet. And they just, you know, that I finally found out what goes into that. And I was like, oh, my God, I feel like such an idiot. So I think, yeah, you <laughs> definitely look at things differently. Or um, you, I, it's funny. When I play games, I when I play them, I'm not usually thinking of like all the developer things, which I'm glad I can kind of separate a little bit. But when I like put the controller down, I look back and I think about like, you know, like, you know, for some games, you know, it's like, well, how do they get around the install? Like, how did they get around? How did they, you know, like, how does an open, you know, those, those kind of things you start to, those things you have to face as a developer. Um, those are the kind of things or like, a day one patch. Like you think about those things, like, you know, we were, you know, on sunset, we were really, really pushing to make sure that our day one patch was small. And then, you know, I would see other games going, Oh my God, it's five gigs. What the heck? Like, <laughs> my God. Or like, you know, when I, when I saw the, you know, the story, I thought it was a mistake when the Xbox one X update for quantum break came out, it was like 197 gigs or something. I was just like, Whoa, that's an update. Um, so I think you, I think I look at things like that differently where I, um, I try not to let it bother my, like, you know, I want to play a game just like anybody else does, just enjoying the experience. Um, but then I, you know, I definitely, and sometimes what I'll actually do is if I, there's something I know I want to go back to, I'll actually restart the mission and play it over again. Um, just to kind of then do like a little bit of analysis. And then sometimes I'll just like write down a note or two that'll kind of remind me. So when I come back to the office, I can talk about it. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. It's like it seems like it's the stuff that that is invisible, or or it, when, oh, it's, yeah. when it's done well, it's invisible. Like you know, like honestly, the the bungee engineers on the networking side should like be like put like statues should be made of them because it's so it's so <laughs> awesome. Like that kind of stuff. Because think about it, what happens like when another popular online game suffers right off the bat when there's tons of disconnect server problems? Yeah. It's written in every freaking story, right? Right. I never see that with Destiny ever. True. Like I just yeah. at least at least I never see it. But like when you know, like especially at launch, like that's a time when everybody's jumping on or you're testing everything out. Like the bandwidth hit it. That kind of stuff is just to me. That's that's just as instrumental as you know how awesome their controls are. Right. Very very cool. Christian, how about you? What's on your playlist? 
So what do you want to hear about first? Need for Speed Payback or Star Wars Battlefront? Let's talk about Star Wars because we've been talking a lot about it. I know you put in some serious hours. You streamed some on your channel, right? Yep, yep. So I am playing via EA Access, uh, which is only available on Xbox One. There's Origins Access on PC. I really like EA Access as much as recent EA games have maybe (laughs) rubbed me the wrong way. I like the idea of EA Access. Um, and so EA access, you can play, I think it's the first three levels of the campaign and then all of the multiplayer is kind of open and unlocked and the arcade mode. And I spent most of my time with the campaign, those first three levels, and then the arcade mode, which is where you can play as Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. And it's, you know, uh, you can play co-op or you can play, I was just playing single player and it's like a horde mode, you know, um, bots, multiplayer type matches and stuff like that. But you get to go in and there's um, uh, score or timers and you're getting, you're, you're doing better ranking up through them. Like first it's on easy, then on medium, then on hard. And there's a light side and dark side. So it's a fun way for, you know, casual fans or Star Wars fans to get in and experience some of that Star Warsiness, right? Where you're not in the main modes and you're not grinding to get the characters. You get to jump in, run around as Darth Maul and just slaughter uh, <laughs> a bunch of people. Um, the campaign from what is available in EA Access, my God, Frostbite is beautiful. I don't know how they made this game look better than the first one, but it is it is just stunning. It feels like Star Wars. It sounds like Star Wars. And I like this idea of the time frame they set it in where you're seeing scenes, You minor spoiler alert, it's at the very kind of very beginning of the game. You go to where Han and Leia and everybody blew up the shield for the Death Star, but you go there after they that, so that shield generator bunker, you go there after they left. Like, of course you would. Of course the, the Empire would yeah. send a team down there to investigate. And it's just really cool to see that and be like, oh, yeah, of course this is <laughs> happening right now. Um, and so there's really cool moments like that. The story itself, uh, it, it feels as it like we're starting to see that maybe she's not like she, she has reservations about things. You're still, you're still a bad guy, but you get a few orders and you're like, but maybe we should. So I don't know where it goes, but I feel like there might be that reversal, but it's got everything you'd want to see in it, right? It's bombastic. It's big. There are some cool set pieces. Um, the time I've spent with Call of Duty, World War II's campaign, and Battlefront II's campaign, I've been having more fun with Battlefront II's campaign, but I'm also a huge Star Wars fan, right? And this engine and the developers at DICE have nailed that feel of Star Wars so well. So I'm just kind of walking in like, I could just shoot the gun, for 20 minutes to just hear like the authentic like do 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 and i'm happy right so like take all of that with a grain of salt um and so it's all of that stuff that makes this game so incredible that just really bothers me that the bulk of the game is this this big multiplayer mode that battlefield has made popular and the original battlefronts did so well and it is it is to me offensive in the way that it's just it's not it's not offensive in the way a free-to-play game might be where it says, you know, oh, you want to play now? $5. Like, you know, like asking you for money. Instead, it just shows you like, oh, Jeff Kanata killed you in his X-Wing. And these are the stats he had. Or th- these are the star cards he had. And I'm like, oh, cool. Oh, I can't do any of those. <laughs> and so, and like Call of Duty kind of had a version of that before too, where you'd see the kill cam and you could see someone's gun and, and things like that. But just seeing these things and knowing that if I spent 
a buttload of money on loot crates that I could have all of that now as like a time saver to get there. And it will objectively make my character better kind of hit this level cap for the type of cards and, and the perks I could have. It's just frustrating. And so it, I find myself checking out of the multiplayer instead of being really engaged in it. I find myself not wanting to play because it's just frustrating. I, and it's easy now for me to make the excuse that I'm not being beaten because of skill, which is largely probably the case, right? I'm not <laughs> I'm not the best uh, competitive first-person shooter player. But it's like this, oh, well, of course they killed me. They have the P29. Of course they do. And it, it just adds this layer of frustration that really drives me bonkers. So I, I think this is an incredible rental, uh, a red box game fly, wait for a price reduction. And I know that they're saying they're going to continue to tweak the rollout of these things. But I mean, it is just pound you in the face with this stuff. It, it, it's hard. It feels gross. I don't know a better way to put it, which sucks because so much of the game around that stuff feels incredible. Are you, play, are you playing on console or are you playing on PC? I'm playing on Xbox, regular old Xbox One, and it is still, I mean, it's slap your face beautiful. Like, just. That's, 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 that's what I was going to I was wondering how good it looked on the consoles, but that's pretty awesome to see that. On my stream, the majority of comments were, your Xbox One X looks great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, this is this is OG. It is, it's on. That's cool. Un- another. Oh, I won't say what's happening. You kind of know what's happening. There's a space scene when you were flying away, flying around, and there's a bunch of stuff on screen that you might be flying around or through. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, just, oh, That's my great. God. It's it's incredible. Cool. Yeah. You also were playing Need for Speed, which I was really excited about because it felt like it had some burnout DNA in it. Uh, this was sort of the the... Uh, Fast and the Furious need for speed that they showed at E3. Uh, but some people give it some pretty negative reviews. What is your take on what you've played so far? I, I understand the negative reviews. The negative reviews are built around in this game. You can, I, I don't know the, I forget their terms. Every game has their own currencies. <laughs> it's hard to keep them straight. You can buy, you can use real money to get in-game currency that can help you upgrade your cars, but it doesn't, it's not, as big of an affront in this, the way battlefront two felt to me. Um, so, but it, it's, it's very grind heavy in a different way that when you are with a car, you really have to work to make it competitive. And so the idea of jumping around or having a bunch of different cars that you're using in your races, you kind of can't because you need to go back and do these lower level races to make it competitive again in the higher tier races. So I'm finding myself sticking with, you know, the kind of the first car you get. And that was kind of one of the complaints is that it's this, it's hobbled in terms of the creativity or the freedom of all these cars that are in the game where it just becomes such a slog then to go back all the way and do this very basic stuff to level your car up to make it competitive in the later stuff. Um, in the story, it's, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's Fast and the Furious. It's a, it's a B movie Fast and the Furious, right? And so if you're <laughs> I think okay, Fast and the Furious is the B movie. Fast and exactly. the Furious. <laughs> exactly. I mean, so if you're okay with that, I think you can have a lot of fun with it. Um, it it's, it's silly, but I don't know if it's trying to be. It's this thing where there's constant double crosses. You, you meet your characters in your team and, and probably in the first 20 minutes, it feels like you're double crossed three times and like you're not connected to any of these characters and they really try to make it all feel narrative. And and then like the way 
they, they open the world to you at some point is you're, you, you go, well, I'm doing this thing to pay back this, to, to get back at this person who double crossed me, but secretly I'm doing this thing to double cross me. But in the meantime, I'm going to work for this other company that I also hate because I got to get money. So I guess I'll do street races for them because I got to be in my car is the only way to get money. Apparently <laughs> it's like, you know, this, this narrative shoehorned into this open world racing game. Uh, under the hood of all of this, there is a really fun arcade racer. Like I, I think I think this is Ghost Games, and there's definitely that burnout DNA, and you get to smash some cop cars and take out rivals, and it kind of gives you that slow mo mode. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm into that. Yeah, and like the drifting feels good. Like the the core driving, I think, is a lot of fun. Um, getting this arcadey feel, but it, it it again is a game that I feel like will be very cheap very soon, you know, spend how you wish. But uh, I think it's a really fun, like get your friends over a weekend romp. But I don't think this is the game that people are going to be talking about come the end of the year or even next year about how it's influenced racing games. I think there is a way to do a fast and the furious, you know, ask a game and nail it. And maybe this is the first step in that direction, but it's just not quite there yet, unfortunately. Well, uh, I have been uh, playing some stuff, including uh, on my new Xbox One X that arrived uh, this week. Uh, and everybody's like, uh, "Do you want to? Should I buy the Xbox One X?" It's a tough question. I think if you do not have a 4K TV, there really isn't a solid reason to do it. I know Microsoft says that with upscaling, it'll look better even on 1080p. That's not a reason to spend $500 on a console. If you've got a 4K TV, like I do. Uh, you will feel the power of Xbox One X. It is it just a tangibly powerful box. It, just like turning it on, it turns on like that. It is it lickety split from power off to power on, which is something I really appreciate. You know, a lot of these consoles take a few seconds to turn on and it's cool to be like on, you know, back in the old Super Nintendo days when you just flip the big button and it's on, you know. It feels like that. It's instantly on. It is gorgeous. I've been playing a bunch of Wolfenstein to the new Colossus uh, on it, and it is gorgeous. I mean, it is absolutely beautiful. The flame uh, frame rate is smooth, and it does look buttery and beautiful on a big 4K TV. Uh, I like it a lot. In fact, you know, I've been playing so much PlayStation lately that I hadn't hadn't really touched my Xbox One in a while. And I was reminded how much I like the the Microsoft environment, the infrastructure. Like I, I dig the way things are laid out. I, it, stuff just seems to work on the Microsoft consoles. You know, my Astro A50 headset, I plug it in and it just knows to make it work. With my PlayStation, I feel like I have to fiddle with stuff and adjust settings and things don't work sometimes and... I don't know. It just seemed everything seems smoother with uh, the Xbox One for me. Uh, also, quick side note: even with the P- PS4 Pro, what the heck is the wrong with Sony and power buttons? Why do I have to hunt around to push a physical power button on the front of my PlayStation 4? Could they make that button tinier and more hidden? <laughs> it is so frustrating to me. Uh, I, I swear to God, I feel like I'm an old man, like on my knees, huddled in front of my PlayStation 4, looking for the power button. Just use your controller. Sometimes- use your controller. Yeah, no, no. yeah, go to rest, put your console in rest mode, and then just boom, hit but your power. Here's the thing. Sometimes, guys, sometimes 
I turn here's what happens honestly this is the real truth of it my console will get inadvertently turned on without the television getting turned on like my kid will bump it or my something will happen and it'll get turned on because by the way all consoles turn on way too easily nowadays uh and I'll just want to turn it off and I won't want to turn my television on and wait for it to boot up before getting to a menu to slide down to go to rest mode or whatever. I just want to push a button and have it turn off, but I can't find the button. I sound like an old man. I know, but it bothers me. Anyway, can, can uh, I ask you the Xbox a question about ahead. this? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think they've done what they said they were going to do, right? It is the most powerful console available. It apparently runs whisper quiet as compared to yes. even the base and the PS4 pro. That sounds like a Dyson vacuum. Um, but I feel, and I'm not saying it's priced wrong for what you're getting, but for black Friday, you can get an Xbox one S from Microsoft. Like I don't even need to go to best buy. Like this is their deal for $189. I think this is part of the plan. I think that is, this is, we make headlines with Xbox one X. Everybody wants to get in on that Xbox one train and we sell Xbox one S's. I think that's I think that so people look at five hundred dollars and go, oh, woof, I can buy the one eighty nine S and four games and come out ahead. Yeah. Huh. I, th- I think that's I think you see that in a lot of retail where they have the super high end thing that gets people excited. And then where they sell the majority of their sales is the mid range thing. Yeah, maybe that is a plan. Cause I just I look at it and I'm like, oh, yeah, wow. One hundred eighty nine bucks like it's not impulse buy yet, but it's real close, right? It's yeah. real close. And there's a lot of great, like I said, EA access is only Xbox one on console. Uh, all these third party games, you know, like you said, you prefer the menu in the HUD or whatever on Xbox one. Like it, that's real tempting to jump in on. If you've been sitting on the sideline with just a, a PlayStation all these years, that's, it's really close, right? Yeah. I mean, it's clearly a misstep that they didn't give us more, reasons to own this thing more exclusive content more first party stuff it's it's hard to make the case for that you have yeah when you have you know like we've been talking about lost legacy and spider-man and god of war and all these you know all these things on the horizon that you can only play on the sony box it's hard it's hard to make that case because there's not the corresponding side on on microsoft's uh console but uh i do think it it feels powerful especially if you want 4k it it it's a pretty impressive piece of technology. Has anybody sure. has anybody dug into why the there's not as many Xbox games first party these days? Well, uh, there was the interview with um, what's his name because uh, Jeff and I didn't like Mark. Sunset Overdrive, so you guys didn't get a sequel. We apologize for that. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, thanks guys. Yeah, thanks. Sorry. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot about that. Uh, there was an interview with somebody from Microsoft. No, I, not coming up with his name in, in my head, but just last week uh, he said, we our big push in, in the next quarter is to acquire a new first party developer. So I don't know who that's going to be, but it seems like Microsoft recognizes that. It's not and, respawn. You know, we, <laughs> it's not respawn. That's for sure. Uh, we, we certainly were supposed to have crackdown three as, as that game yeah, uh, and right. that got delayed. Um, so I don't know. And Forza, I guess Forza seven is, you know, the big, launch game for xbox one x and very pretty on that system for sure but yeah it's it's a it's there's a big delta uh, right now between the kind of quality stuff we're getting exclusive to playstation and i think i hopefully microsoft recognizes that and they they you know put some resources into it because they got the they got the deep pockets to to make it happen and i think their internal studios for better or worse 
um, the market changed a little bit, right? Like the, the Gears became an internal studio. Halo became an internal studio. And I, I enjoyed Gears of War 4. It didn't set the world on fire. It didn't reinvent the wheel. I enjoyed Halo 5, but kind of the same thing. Like that game certainly had its problems, but I think whatever they called it, the war mode or the card, whatever the their larger battle mode they introduced with that, I think it did some neat things. And then they have Turn 10 and then they have Crackdown. So if those series were knocking it out Rare. of the park and rare so they have like they i think if you look at it objectively on a whiteboard they have studios that can make some really great games it's just for whatever reason gaming tastes have maybe changed or those games those franchises are a little long in the tooth and you know it'd be like if naughty dog was just making uncharted still i know they do a lot of them but like they didn't also pop in a last of us or um you guys are doing spider-man now and i know you're not exclusive to sony but that game is uh and it's not we're not getting ratchet and clank crank ratchet and clank 20 ratchet and crank <laughs> that's, that's actually be a much more a fast fast game. Yeah. <laughs> very very fast paced game um i also want to talk about hand of fate 2 because i know guys i know i know there's a lot of stuff in 2017 to play there are a lot of these high profile incredible triple a games we've been talking about lots of them there are lots more i'm sure everybody's plate is really full but it would be such a shame if people missed out on hand of fate too, wait no jeff it, be careful you're gonna you might put this uh developer out of business oh i know and that's what i did to hob <laughs> and runic yeah <laughs> but by the way buy hob please it's amazing it's 20 bucks a uh, hand of fate 2 i think is also less than 30 bucks i think it's like 26 or something awesome i did backflips over the first hand of fate but that game not as good as hand of fate 2 they've really improved on every system the idea between Hand of Fate 2 is it's kind of like this tabletop card game mixed with real-time third-person action combat that you would find in like a Batman Arkham game. So that same kind of almost how Batman Arkham is like a rhythm game where you're waiting for a prompt from a bad guy and then hit your block and try to chain together as many combos as you can. That is the combat in Hand of Fate, but it only happens when you get into these encounters that you come upon through playing this card game. So the conceit of the game is that you are sitting down with this mysterious game master and he has devised the ultimate game for you to, to, to challenge you. And he has all these cards and you basically march through them like you're, you're on a, a roll and move board game where you go from card to card. And each card is a different encounter. And some of the encounters are uh, story-based or mo- multiple choice. Like how are you going to you know like choose your own adventure style? How are you going to deal with this? Or some of them are just merchants where you can purchase things and some of them are uh, much more interesting encounters. And then some of them are these f- combat moments where you get into actual, you know, Batman Arkham style fights. And it works really, really well. It's two very disparate styles of game. Uh, some of the other, I said, much more interesting those are like these games of chance where you'll have to roll dice or make selections of cards. So it's very much like old school game of chance playing um, uh, what's the th- three card Monty or something, or be doing a very modern style action, third person action game. Uh, and it's cool that this, it's this mashup of two very different styles that works really, really well. The writing is really strong. The game looks a lot better than it did in its first iteration. The sequel's graphics have been much improved, in my opinion. And I think the weakest part of the first game, which was that it generated comparisons to Batman's combat, 
but it wasn't as well tuned as Batman's combat. It's much closer now. I wouldn't say it's achieved, you know, Batman perfection, but it is real close now. I think the combat has improved a lot from the first game. It's an awesome game, and I really have been enjoying playing it. Hand of Fate 2. All right, guys, let's move on now. I want to get to some quick questions, but first... I want to thank our second sponsor, which is Simple Contacts. These are a new sponsor, but it's one I've been able to, to try out. I wear contacts. I'm sure a lot of you wear contacts as well. And you could probably sympathize that buying your daily contacts or your monthly contacts, however you do contacts, can be a pain because you never think about it in enough time. You're going to run out. You kind of try to make contacts last longer than they're than they should even though it's really unhealthy for your eye it's so annoying but simple contacts has made the process of ordering and renewing your contact lens prescription so simple you can do it from anywhere in minutes it's all an app on your phone and you take this five minute vision test on your phone or on your computer and then that is reviewed they have doctors licensed doctors that review that and then you receive your prescription i got mine like in a day, it came so fast. It was crazy. And it's cool. You just do the eye test on your phone. You set your phone down, you walk like five feet away or 10 feet away, whatever it is. And you do an, a quick eye test and it's looking at you with the camera and giving you pointers on how to do it. It's so simple. And I actually had a personalized a doctor write back to me and say, hey, here's your prescription. If you already have your prescription, you can just scan it and send it to them that way too. You don't even have to do the eye test. Either way, it becomes so easy. They have like every major brand of contacts. So you've got your convenience, you've got your speed, safety, because every eye exam is is reviewed by their staff, and choice, because they've got all these uh, varieties of contact lenses, and everything is much, much less expensive. The eye exam is 20 bucks. Compare that to like over 100 that you would get at your, you know, ophthalmologist somewhere. And uh, standard shipping is free. The contacts are priced competitively. It's so simple. I have really enjoyed this. I'm, it's how I get my contacts now. So the best part is we're going to give you 30 bucks off your first order of contact lenses. All you have to go do is go to simplecontacts.com slash DLC, enter the promo code DLC at checkout, and you get 30 bucks off it's a pretty great deal, and it lets them know it was a good idea to sponsor our show. So check it out. If you wear contacts, this is the way to go. Simplecontacts.com slash DLC and the promo code DLC. Time for some quick questions. Remember, you can always submit quick questions for us by sending an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Also, in our subreddit, people post uh, quick questions there. We got some really good ones this week. Uh, this quick question comes from Kevin. He says, uh, in light of Mario Odyssey, what are your top three Mario games? Brian, what are your top three Mario games? Uh, I would say uh, Super Mario 64, mm-hmm. Super Mario World. Uh, because I, I, got, I got that one with my Super Nintendo. I just remember playing it like all day before I had football practice and then I would go to football practice and come back and play more Mario. Oh yeah. And then I would, I would probably say, I know I haven't played Odyssey yet, so I really can't talk about say anything about that one yet, but I would probably say, um, super Mario brothers three for me, because I think, cause 
I'm old enough. I'm an old fart enough to that came, you know, I was, I was like the wizard, the movie, the wizard and all that (laughs) stuff. So like, I think just that is just so ingrained in my brain and seeing that like a game revealed like via a movie and then playing it. I would say those are, those are my three favorite. Ah, great list. How about you, Christian? And also we convinced a friend to buy like a Japanese uh, Nintendo 64 so we could all play Mario before it actually came out. (laughs) (laughs) That's so great. Uh, Christian, how about you? What are your top three Mario games? Uh, So right now, I think Odyssey might end up number one, but I haven't, you know, it's so recent, but that game is incredible. Um, So, but right now I would probably do World. Um, It's Pixel Perfection. Galaxy. Galaxy 2 and then Odyssey. And I think Mario 64 wow. is incredible, but I think Odyssey and Galaxy 2 both learned and Galaxy 1 like blew me away more, but Galaxy 2 was such a refinement on that. Um yeah, but none of those games would exist without Mario 64, so like hat off, <laughs> throw my hat on it and possess it. But yeah, World Galaxy 2 Odyssey Odyssey. What about you? My list is very similar. Uh Super Mario World is my favorite Mario of all time. I uh, as you guys have already said, I think it's perfect. I think it is. It's everything I want out of a Mario game. It, it, I played it. The fact that it was like a launch title for Super Nintendo is, is insane to me. It's crazy. Yeah. And I played it so much. In fact, I was talking about <laughs> uh, this when we were talking about the Super NES Classic Mini, Brian. When I, <laughs> when I got that and plugged that in and put on Super Mario World, I could smell my old bedroom. Oh my god! It was weird. I got this crazy sense memory of my old bedroom. It was it was odd, but I played the crap out of the game, and I still adore it. Uh, and then I would go uh, Super Mario Two. I know everybody hates Super Mario Two, but it has a very special place in my heart because I played it with my friend in grade school, and we played that game for hours. And it was like we played it screw your buddy style, where we would just mess with each other, and it was it was so fun. Uh, and then uh, Galaxy. And I hear you on Galaxy 2 being the refinement, but I think Galaxy just made the bigger impression because I, I just couldn't believe – I couldn't believe that they had been this bold with what they did to Mario. Like I just couldn't believe it. It just seemed amazing to me. Yeah. Um, so those are my top three. But as you said, Odyssey making a big play for being in that list for sure. Uh, all right. This uh, quick question comes from Eric Ibsen. He says, quick question. After hearing rave reviews for the new Metroid, I picked up a copy for my son and I had to play on his 3DS. This is the first game I've played for that extended amount of time on the system. Wow, do my left thumb cramp up. <laughs> Am I alone here or do you guys feel the same way? I was looking into getting some sort of comfort grip accessory and I was wondering if you guys have any experience or recommendations or do I just need to get used to it? So do you guys have any answers for this, Brian? Do you have a... You got to get used to it. I, I mean, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't play my 3DS a ton, but like, you know, there's like, you know, when that Nintendo first party game comes out, we all have to play, right? Then you're like, you have to like, it's almost like working out, like you haven't worked out in a while. And then you're like, <laughs> oh my God, my hamstrings are so tight. And it's like, I feel like that's what you kind of get with your hand. I mean, at least like my hands are pretty big and for that, for that, for that, uh, yeah, I would say you just have to get used to it. I, I mean, like, I'm sure if, you know, like, if you ask someone like on Twitter, what would be, you get like a hundred responses of things you can attach to it. But I would say just man up and get used to it. <laughs> Christian, how about you? you gotta... I play on the new 3ds XL. So I, I mean, it's not comfortable, but it's not as uncomfortable as the standard 3ds. I know they do sell grip attachments for it, but I have never used any of them. I just, yeah. 
Yeah, I've seen up. dudes have uh, like these weird stem things that you can add to the top that it makes it really tall. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm not going to go that far. I feel like I'm in Brian's camp where I, you just got to get used to it or take breaks. I guess take breaks is a good. Uh, no, lame, lame. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been completely unhelpful for you, Eric. Sorry. Get used to it, I guess. Yep. Um, this one comes from Toll. This is a kind of a long question for a quick question, but I, I really like it. He says, I'm about 60 hours into Breath of the Wild, and here's a confession of sorts. It's my first Zelda game. I'm a 40-something gamer, but my 8 and 16-bit era was on early computers. Amstrad, CPC, and Commodore Amiga, and then DOS, Windows PC. I've had an OG PlayStation and Xbox and a 360 and a PS3 that we used for Last of Us and as a Blu-ray player. My Switch is my first Nintendo console, and I've never had a Sega console. I'm 90% convinced I'll stump up for a PlayStation 4 PSVR this holiday season, and my gaming PC has a couple is a couple of years old, but I'd be prepared to upgrade. I've never played a Mario game, a Metroid game, Sonic, Monster Hunter, Persona, Kingdom Hearts, God of War, Fire Emblem, or Dragon Quest game. Despite knowing they have huge followings and have spent large portions of my youth gaming, and partly because the amount of history makes them feel hard to break into this late. So my question for you is, for an older gamer with parenting responsibilities and a full-time job, so limited free time, which which of the absolute classic franchises that I've missed are worth getting into and don't require lots of historical immersion in the back catalog to enjoy? Aren't you guys kind of jealous of this guy? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he's like a magical – he's got a magical road ahead of him, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> I've never had ice cream or pizza. I'm, these yeah. movie things, what are they? So what do you what do you say, Brian? I feel like you're the perfect person to answer this. Oh, God. Well, he like named a bunch of them that I would tell you. So like I think you have to – like I, I'm a huge God of War fan, so I, I do think he should play God of War. I totally yeah. do think he should. Um I mean, it's a Is there a specific franchise. God of War he should play? If he's only played one, which God of War? Oh uh, God, I love three. I thought three was great. I mean, you do need a little bit of context there. Um, now, I you don't guys, think it's that important. I mean, no, it's, it's I mean, not complicated. Yeah. yeah um, I mean, now one that's it doesn't matter because he's going to be confused even if he had played it forty-five times. Like, I'm a huge Kingdom Hearts fan. Like. Like my last cover story I wrote for EGM was Kingdom Hearts 2. Uh, like I'm a huge Kingdom Hearts fan and it doesn't matter because no one understands the story. So he can jump right in and it, they're super great worlds and he should just play Kingdom Hearts 2. Uh, it's great. Um, like, is he looking for like any franchises? Like he should play the first Gears of War. Like he should play <laughs> yeah. um, like, oh my, like, so wait, which console city has he had? Has he uh, has he played he says, Red Dead? Has he played? Oh, that's a good question. Like, oh my God! Like, to be this man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the problem is he doesn't have the, the time uh, to to do it. But yeah, he has uh, a magical world <laughs> waiting for him. Like Many Metroid, magical. the Metroid Prime series, like Metroid Prime yeah. One. Like, oh my God! Yeah, no, Metroid Prime One is one of the great experiences of my life. <laughs> that game is so good. Uh, Christian, do you have anything to add here? I would say the Mario games. Um, they're like incredible. All of them? Like, pick, pick. Okay, Maybe so we're we playing, playing Odyssey. I would say play either World. You should play World. Or sure. 64. I don't think 64 holds up like World. Yeah, it does. I, I think he'll play Odyssey and he'll be like, because it's like all up. Like, I think he needs, like, you got to go like 
go back to the you know OG a little bit and go to that world. I think he'll have a great time. I'm fine. Can you imagine what, what happens in Odyssey when he jumps into a pipe and he turns into 8-Bit Mario and he's like, what's this? Yeah. <laughs> and then the other franchise, uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Oh, oh fantastic. And go get you got to play two. Yeah. Tony, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, Skater 2. 2. Yeah. Well, you guys were mentioning a game, Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah. So funny story. I had to review that in four days for EGM because we got it super late in the cycle because, oh you know, we, when, print, when print mags, we had to like pump it out really quickly to be timely. And I remember like I had roommates, they were like, you were glued to the TV for four days. I'm like, yeah, it was the best four days of my life. It was awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, and I guess uh, KOTOR is one of the backwards compatible games on Xbox One that looks better if you put it on the X, I think. I think that's one of the ones. So that's pretty exciting too. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I'm going to echo everything these guys have said. Metroid Prime was such a great pull. I don't even know what system you play that on though. The problem is Nintendo needs to do, you know, a, a virtual console on the Switch. That would be so good. Um, so I, was, I wasn't sure if there was a virtual console because I just wasn't I, you know, I just I also was hoping one of you guys would just admit that there was if there is or not so I wouldn't look like a dummy. Yeah, um, no, there isn't. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh my god, I can't believe that. Isn't it? I need, I need to buy. I need to buy uh, Super Metroid for like the fortieth time. So. It's on Wii. It's on uh, Wii U. The, the trilogy, and it's pretty good. Pretty good port of all of them. Yeah, I mean, I think my number one is you got to play Super Mario World, and there's a lot of ways to play that nowadays. I mean, you could find a, a classic mini, or you could. I mean, there's many ways to play it so good luck good luck and keep us posted on your journey because uh it is as brian pointed out a magical <laughs> magical journey you're about to embark i mean on. i think a great answer would be if you can find one is the snes classic like that yeah. gives him metroid it gives him mario world yeah. it gives him link to the past like yeah link to the past is yeah, can you imagine not not be not ever playing link to the past and then playing it oh my god it's <laughs> so cool uh, I have one last quick question, but this just comes from me uh, to you, Brian, uh, which is uh, we did something we didn't really talk about. And you, you brought up Luke Smith and a lot of you, your old compatriots from back in the day. And so many of you guys have transitioned to being game devs. And, you know, it seems like that generation is now like got the keys to the kingdom. You guys are making all these incredible games. What was that experience like? I know you moved from journalism side to community manager and work your yep. way up inside insomniac but what 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 was that experience like what have you learned what maybe could you um you know lay out for people that want to follow that or or want to get into game dev in general so i will you know and i'm not lying i have the best job in the world i really do and i will tell you that i went from my previous best job in the world to this like i've I feel very, very fortunate. Like I, you know, my, I mean, tell, talking about like young Brian wanting to make a Spider-Man game. I do remember sitting on my next door neighbor's front porch as a kid saying, I just would love to write for EGM one day. And then 20 years later I was, um, I think it was, a, I will say like those five years at Ziff Davis was magical. Like it really, really was. We had, you know, I, I was a terrible writer showing up and, be, and became a competent writer, um, better editor. And uh, being at EGM, we had such access to so many different developers. And you just, you know, I would go visit these guys, you know, these studios and just fall in love with the process um, and seeing it. And I really, you know, I was seeing the probably more of the glorified version of it because, you know, they were presenting to me. Um, 
But I think what um, when I came here is, first of all, I was very open in saying, listen, I don't know what it what it takes to make a game like I, you know, I know I think what makes a, a fun game and but tried to be really open with like, listen, just just how does how do how do we build a character? How do we get in the move? What is it like building a level? What, what's the process? And just being very open. And um, I think a lot of us, you know, like whether it's Luke or Mark McDonald or Ryan Payton or all of us, um, there's more than just that. Um, we were just very open to, we just wanted to be part of the process. And also devs, it's, you know, so I come from a, a sports background. I played a lot of sports and I just love being part of a team. I think that's their thing is these games are so big and complicated and um, you need a lot of coordination and you got to really, you know, be, be in it to win it and get in the trenches and really work to figure it out. And I think that's the, one of the most rewarding things. And like, you know, you guys saw me to E3. That's probably one of the highlights of my career. We're able to not only work on something like Spider-Man, but to do it in a way that was pretty well received by so many different people. So, um, it's, I really can't believe I'm doing this. Uh, I, it just, it's, I really can't. And my, and my advice would be, um, be really lucky like me. I was just lucky. <laughs> I was lucky. I was, I mean, I've been in the right place at the right time. Um, and, uh, I would just, my advice is make games, like make them like, don't, you don't need like the, 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 access you have to engines and forums and YouTube to do's watching videos, how to do things. Like if you really want to make games, you can go do it right now and you could be in elementary school and be making video games. And you know what? They can all be terrible. They don't need to be good, but you know, keep doing it. And the thing is now, now there are schools that you can go. It's like, I never went, I mean, I was a psychology major. I was a psychology major and I just, you know, now, you know, there are people getting masters in game design. And, um, I think it's, um, and I will say one of the most important lessons, tools you can have is be a good communicator, learn how to communicate with people. And that means get off your butt and go talk to people. Just don't write emails. Don't get up and talk and talk to people get in their face and talk to them because that's when the magic really happens at these things. I just time and time again, when people are excited and they're working as a group. And when I see four or five people huddled around a screen working on something, I know it's going to be great. And I've seen that not only just at, you know, game development, but I also saw it back at EGM when we would be all huddled around a, a, a monitor trying to write a funny caption for this review. And when you do, and I know it's weird to say, but like we were all kind of in it to, put the best thing possible out there. And I think when you, if you can really be a great communicator, um, it goes a long way and it's something it's hard to write on a resume. Right. But once you're, um, once you're out there and, um, and you can really talk to different people and ex- express, um, how, what you think solutions and be open to different people's ideas. Um, that's what makes a great developer. Um, and, uh, so it's a, it's a, it's an amazing industry. I mean, you guys know, you guys are part of it. Um, it's some of the best people I've ever met and, uh, they're lifelong friends. Like I said, Luke Smith is my best friend. Um, and we are super, super close. And he was texting me t- five minutes before we even walked into this podcast. Um, and, uh, it's a place like, like, to be honest with you, like the best thing I can say is that Insomniac's like my second family. Um, that's how I think of it. I think of these people as my brothers and sisters and I would do anything for them. And that's kind of the culture we create. And, uh, if you get to be part of it, 
um, I promise you, you'll be one happy individual at the end of the day. Wow. What a, so cool, man. What an inspiring. Brian, blink you know. twice if you were being forced to say anything. <laughs> no, I, I really, I really, not. And, and no, don't get me wrong. I'm going to walk out of this room. I'm going to see an email and it's going to th- throw me through the roof and I'm going to start screaming at everybody and <laughs> screaming at my, and say, oh my God, oh my God. Uh, but at the end of the day, when uh, I think about it, like, like I get to make a Spider-Man game. Like what? Like this isn't like, this shouldn't be real. Like it just shouldn't be real. Like I get to sit there like, and I'm going to discuss, you know, this uh, thing about the game. When you guys play it, you'll go crazy. Um, It's just, it's so surreal to be, you know, I mean like, it's just, yeah, it's, I, I pinch myself and I have to, and I, and I try to remember even back when I was working at EGM that there are so many people who would love to do what I do. um, And I am, eternally grateful for the opportunity and uh it's uh it's it's gonna it's awesome and i just hope that you guys uh like what we put out at the end of the day well i gotta say i mean this is why i've been a fan of you for so long and wanted to have you on the show for so long and just your passion shines through and it has done since the earliest days uh when you were you know you're working at egm and i'm just so glad to hear this from you and it's so inspiring and awesome oh thanks guys and you guys and i will say like you know jeff i've talked the first time i ever met you i said thank you for being somebody in the industry who's happy um and i I'm, i'm dead serious it means it's you know you know we see a lot of things where like i mean you guys know there's some bad shit happening in the world and sometimes it's nice to uh it's nice to have people who are looking at positive things and uh reflecting on some great you know because there's a lot of there's a lot of people working really really hard to make these games and to have people who are like celebrating them and saying no hey this is something you should play and this is why it's great and this is what it meant to me um it's actually really refreshing so please uh hey doesn't mean you can't say you don't like things but it's nice when uh when we when we as developers hear the passion from people like you and our fans and gamers, um, that's why like, you know, people will tweet at me all the time and say, you know, how happy they are. And I make sure I respond, try to respond or at least like every single post because, you know, when they get tough, those mean a lot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Awesome, man. I appreciate you saying that too. Uh, what a great point to wrap up the show. We do have our parting gift coming up. So stick around for that. Plus Christian's uh, bonus content, his, his interview be uh, at the end of the episode. So do stick around for that as well. But Brian Intahar, I can't thank you enough for taking the time out of a busy schedule to be with us. Thank you so much. Thanks guys. It was my pleasure. And where can people keep up with you and the game and anything else you'd like to plug? Sure. Obviously, you know, obviously come to our website, insomniacgames.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Brian Intahar. Uh, it's just B-R-Y-A-N-I-N-T-I-H-A-R. Won't be hard to find me. I'm probably the only Intahar except for my wife out there. So, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, and, uh, and like I said, uh, I love loved talking about uh, Spider-Man, comics, movies, uh, especially movies a lot. And uh, and unfortunately, Mike Cleveland Brown. So, um, Almost those are th- three quarters yesterday, man. Three quarters. They looked okay. Hey, you're, you're a 49ers fan, right? Yeah, we got to so win. I, so I just want to thank you for making sure that we have the number one pick in the draft. So thank you very, very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, – yeah, Life of a Browns yeah. fan. <laughs> uh, Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? If you're in Los Angeles, I'm putting up a new show Monday, November 20th at UCB Sunset uh, called The Great Debate Thanksgiving Special, where uh, some amazing comedians will come up and pull a silly topic from a hat or bucket. And uh, 
they'll figure out what it is right then and then they'll debate it and we'll have a real time fact checker on stage as well to call them out on stuff. It's Monday, November 20th at 10:30 at UCB Sunset. Um oh, Salt Lake, I'll be there December 14th, 15th, 16th and 17th at Wise Guys. And then if you've seen the video of the stream, you see my silly mustache. If you go to my website, christianspicer.com, I have a link at the top post there where I'm trying to raise some money for St. Jude, a children's hospital that helps kids fight cancer. And if you donate through that link, I will match any donations that you make. And I will donate to uh, the Movember Foundation, which is men's health issues, and the One American Appeal, which is hurricane relief. So it's a way for you to donate and have your money be tripled. It's awesome, man. And, it, and it's no small thing that Christian is uh, doing that because that r- mustache looks ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> big sacrifice you're making going through your life like that. Uh, so reward his efforts. Um, I have several other shows for you to check out, including a daily video game show. If you want to get quick up to date on all the news, even news we don't necessarily have time for here on this show. Check out Newest, Latest, Best. It's my daily video game show, 10 minutes a day. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, everywhere else you get podcasts, or by visiting anchor.fm slash NLB. I also have the Slash Filmcast at slashfilmcast.com. I have, uh, we have concerns at wehaveconcerns.com. I have my weekly Heroes of the Storm show called Hot's Lunch, which you can find on Wednesdays at noon, although that time may be changing. And I want to tease... A big, big, exciting project that's coming up. I'm doing a show for Hulu about esports called Defining Moments. Uh, I can't tell you exactly when that's going to premiere, but uh, we're shooting it now. And I think in December it's, it's coming out. So I'm really excited. So keep an eye out for that. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Let's uh, wrap things up with some parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion. Brian, do you have a suggestion of something that might not be a video game that you can uh, give to the audience, get them through their week? Uh, yeah, well, don't follow me on Twitter during a Browns game because I'll, I'll make you depressed. Um, no, I did, see a, <laughs> I, did, I did see a really good movie I liked this weekend. Okay. Uh, I, I saw, uh, saw Murder on the Orient Express, which I thought was really, really good. I liked it. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. I'm so excited I, to. Uh, yeah. Kenneth Branagh is is fantastic. Uh, he's awesome. His mu- talk speaking of mustaches, it's fantastic. Um, uh, I, would <laughs> I heard that. it's like two mustaches fighting over his face. It is. And there's some really extreme close-ups where, like, I I now that I'm thinking about it, I was like staring at the mustache like for most of the shot. Um, but it's it's really it's good. Um, I really liked it. Um, then my I just randomly my wife saw a really good movie. Um, sorry, I'm really, um, I like movies a lot. Like, it's like, especially it's nice to get like, shut your phone off for two hours and not, um, it's, um, it's called lady bird. Oh yeah. It's, it's, uh, she, I actually was working while she saw it and it's, uh, she couldn't recommend enough. So from my wife, a lady bird, it's a probably more of an independent movie. Uh, it's, uh, it's apparently it's fantastic. So, um, those are my two things. Hey, sometimes you just got to shut life off for a little bit and get away and those are two things I would recommend to get you through the week. Fantastic. Christian, you got a parting gift? Yeah, I'm going to say if you see her, she comes to your city, go see Katy Perry in concert. My wife and I and Chris Quintos and actually Chris's mom, which was awesome. We all went when she was here in L.A. And if you don't like Katy Perry, that's fine. I get it. It doesn't necessarily need to be Katy Perry. I think she did a great show. And in 2018, I think Carly Rae Jepsen is opening for her, which I love Carly Rae's uh 
pop as well. But if you don't want to see Katy Perry, take the time to go see one of these big stadium uh, arena pop concerts because they like Beyonce, whoever it is, Justin Timberlake, pick your, you know, whatever you want to do. They are such a production. I mean, just mind-blowingly unbelievable. I won't say what she did for her encore, but it's like there's this set that's there the whole show. And then all of a sudden there's a new set that's like coming out for three minutes only and just absolutely so impressive. So take the time to do something fun and silly and go see a pop star perform at, you know, the top of their game. We got a parting gift from a listener sent into DLC feedback at gmail.com. This comes from Garrett Fritch. He says, uh, hello, dearly loved casters. Nice DLC there. Uh, I would like to suggest Shea, Shay, Shay, probably. Shea Sorrento. Shea Sorrento. Shea Sorrento. It's his Shea basketball Shirano. book. His basketball yes. book. Yeah. Yes. New book, Basketball and Other Things, for this week's parting gift. It's a fun take on silly basketball questions. Chapters are questions with titles like, which NBA player crew do you want to be in if the purge started today and what year was michael jordan the best version of michael jordan uh the art is also excellent and it makes the book one where you can open it up to any page and enjoy shea works at the ringer uh he's a he's really really funny he's awesome he's really really good and he's on a bunch of podcasts he's really good cool uh, mine will be uh, another movie i had a chance to see a really early screening of the shape of water which is the new a movie from uh, Guillermo del Toro, and uh, it's real good. I won't spoil anything about it. You should go in just blind. It's my favorite Guillermo del Toro movie uh, at this point, and he's, he's got some great movies. So uh, I, I was pretty impressed with it. I was waiting, uh, waiting for you to say something about Justice League, but then I realized you probably weren't going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually not seeing that until tomorrow. I see that tomorrow. Oh, okay. Night. Okay. I mean, can I say something if I haven't seen it? I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I uh, haven't seen it, and I won't say who's seen it, but so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, that's it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Brian Intahar and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all of you in the chat rooms uh, for hanging out with us, making the show better in real time. Uh, thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star. And thanks to each and every one of you that downloads the show. We appreciate it. It means a lot to us. Uh, stick around. Christian has some bonus content for you. But until next week, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. Hey everybody, Christian Spicer here. Thanks for joining us for this bonus content of DLC. I am joined by composer Michael Wandmacher, whose work you might know from the stellar video game Bloodborne, among others. Michael, thanks for taking the time. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, it is absolutely uh, my pleasure. My first question, and this is one that I ask to people in the business a lot, especially people that kind of jump around um, and work in every medium within it. Sure. How is working on a video game different than say film or TV, if at all? Well, there's definitely a difference. Um, speaking on the video game side, you have to think about the music in a, in a different way because for two reasons, number one, most of the music is composed in loops uh, ranging in length from maybe 10 seconds up to, they can be seven, eight, nine minutes long. And throughout the, the time in that loop, you're 
writing, you know, music of different intensity, maybe so the game can switch to different parts in the loop based on how things are going in the game. But it's a very dynamic environment. Um, and also, because the music is repeating, say if you're playing an RPG where you're in an open world environment, and you're, you may be in a place in the game for a really long time. Right, I'm just running in circles for two hours or something. <laughs> yeah, a game like Fallout or something like that, um, you you may hear a piece of music 10, 12, 15, 20 <laughs> times, depending on how long you play in that game or how much trouble you're having getting through a particular level or something. So taking into consideration how the music plays repeatedly is really important because you don't want to annoy the gamer or make them frustrated or have the, the music kind of get in a way in the way after a while. It's not hold like, music as I'm waiting to talk to people at Verizon or something. That's <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing because you're trying to sell the thematic musical thematic idea of the game, the vibe of the game, the style, the content, you're trying to sell all of that with the music, but at the same time you can't write, a, a, like really definitive melodies that are playing over and over and over again because they continuously come back. And after a while, that'll start driving the person who's playing nuts. I mean, I've been on the other, I've been on the other end of that. I, I know I've experienced it as a gamer. So there's, there's that figuring out how to walk that line. Whereas in a movie or television, it's a, it's a linear thing. It's a single thought. The movie is, is constructed to be this journey you take from beginning to end. It's the same time or the same every single time. And most people will only see it once. So mm-hmm. using um, storytelling devices like themes and, and motifs and, and things like that, you can bring them back in much stronger statements and like really full filled out arrangements, things like that, because people are only going to hear it as it relates to the context of the story or or the point in the story that they're watching at that particular moment. If you take some, I mean, just think if you were playing a star Wars game and you you kept hearing over and over and over and over and over and over. And after a while it would drive you bananas, but you still want to capture the, the, uh, the essence of the music without, maybe hammering home those thematic ideas so much as you would in a film i hope that makes sense no yeah it does my question then is like when you're playing games uh the analogy i often make is like once you work at a mcdonald's or whatever your you know your high school job growing up was um you know any job right any job you have you can never go back to that place and view it the same it's like you work at a law firm you know what the mailroom looks like you work at mcdonald's you know what the break room looks like so when you're playing a game um i guess specifically a game for in in terms of those loops are you hearing that is that super at the forefront for you are you able to still kind of escape into the world that the developers have made uh, it depends on how long I play the game. It, I guess I'm much more sensitive to it than most people. Um, but I, especially for things like boss fights that can take a while and you, you may hear the same music starting and start over and over and over again. Uh, it's, it's really hard. I've seen it done effectively and I've seen it not done effectively. It's, it's, I think compositionally, is one of the hardest things to accomplish really effectively is, is to have it raise the, the level of a game, you know, the excitement of it, the terror, the tenseness of it, the, the, you know, the excitement, but not 
become annoying. I, I can't think of a better word. <laughs> so not to just only talk uh, Bloodborne was a game I loved and a lot of our yeah. listeners loved. I mean, you talk about boss fights or something that's repeated. I mean, that game is punishing and notorious for repeating sections and repeating moments. And you might be engaged in a boss fight for 20, 30 minutes as you try to learn its routines or patterns. How did you personally try to tackle those things in creating the soundscape that is, and I mean this in the best way possible, just gross. Like I feel dirty, like with headphones on listening to it, right? It's oppressive. It's dark. And then I'm in it for 18 hours or whatever it is. And an hour at a time on one boss fight. Like how, how did you tackle that? in terms of making something that was unique, gave you that feeling, but also wasn't hold music? <laughs> uh, we, um, the developers wanted the, um, the boss fight music to be something that was in varying levels of intensity. And based on where you were in the, in the boss fight, the music would kind of skip to that section in the music. So the, 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 uh, the loops themselves were very long and they were, fairly linear they there there are things that uh elements they wanted in the music i'm just trying to think back to remember how this went um there were elements they wanted in the music that were that were used throughout the game like these big hellish choirs and um the use of solo strings and smaller ensemble strings um it orchestral effects things like that not so much melody but more kind of a a vibe uh, the, the one I remember specifically that was really challenging was the Mikolash fight uh, because it has this crazy arpeggiating piano in it, just these massive full keyboard runs of notes and in, in these little chromatic phrases. And it, it's going by really, really fast. And it was cool because that idea translated into the the character sort of madness and weirdness, but without being a really delineated thematic thing. So it could keep rolling over and over this, just kind of keep rolling over and over and over without getting repetitive. I don't, I don't know, for some reason it worked. That was one way to get uh, to, to, to solve that problem. Um, I'm trying to think of, the other fights um it, it was it the idea going in was sort of the same thing was to create these their soundscapes based on the general vibe of the music throughout the game the real thematic stuff in the game comes out in the cutscenes because they're almost like little movies and mm-hmm. they, they play one way but in the gameplay itself it was these sort of little roller coasters of of musical movements based on where you were in the fight. If you, if you go back and say, play the Mikolash fight as the fight progresses, you'll hear the music change in intensity. It, it goes to a different section of the piece. I mean, uh, I, I might not hear that cause it'd be, I have to hear it over my expletives as right. I mistime my rolls and my <laughs> counters, but <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> as my controller breaking in my hands as I fail uh, yet again. Oh yeah. Rage quitting. <laughs> I get it. Uh, uh, so like now as, uh, you know, we're entering the the holidays, Thanksgiving isn't happening yet, but for all intents and purposes, at least at my local grocery store and target, it's Christmas already. Um, I have Christmas songs stuck in my head that I'll be, I'll find myself whistling or just kind of, you get that tune stuck in your head. Looking at back at your body of work, you have a lot of 
spooky, haunting, um, maybe even angry music in your yeah. repertoire, but also yeah. uh, things like the Goldbergs, Madagascar. Like, wh- who, who are you? What side is winning? It's either like very happy and upbeat or just it seems very haunting. What What's in your head as you're mowing the lawn or, or walking around town? <laughs> um, I guess the best answer to that is I'm a genre kid and I was raised that way to spend Saturday mornings watching cartoons, Bugs Bunny cartoons, Saturday afternoons watching Godzilla movies and Saturday night watching whatever horror film was on TV or whatever um, at the time video cassette I could get a hold of to watch a movie that may have been too raunchy for television. (laughs) So I was constantly exposing myself to that whole spectrum of of genre stuff from horror and sci-fi and thriller movies and television in addition to animated tons of animated films and lots of cartoons and um I, you know one of my earliest musical influences was Carl Stalling in uh, watching those Bugs Bunny cartoons and how he was able to pull off all of that stuff and and have it be so tightly in sync with the picture and some of that stuff was recorded before any of it was even drawn um it that to me was amazing and i think that that uh, listening to that music made a big impression on me. So I was, I don't know, while I was taking in the light stuff during the day and the dark stuff at night, it sort of all mashed together. And I, so I feel comfortable, you know, jumping the fence between the two um, because it, both are familiar to me. I'm so glad you bring up the Looney Tunes stuff too. I think people that, you know, have listened to this show and, and maybe are a little younger, um, we all know Bugs Bunny and Donald Duck and kind of the characters or caricatures they've become, but that early stuff and the music in it, it is just absolutely incredible. And if you haven't gone back and watched it, to anyone listening to this, I, I really encourage you to go back and listen to that stuff and digest it. And some of that stuff was actually fairly dark too, considering yeah, you know, how we were consuming it. <laughs> oh, totally. Um, there was a lot of subversiveness in, in, those cartoons early on they were you know chuck jones was definitely um using his political voice and and you know saying things through his cartoons that how he felt about the state of the world and it's really interesting as an adult to go back and watch the cartoons and and see it so clearly things you might not notice when you're a little kid but the artistry level in those cartoons is as high as it gets on every every discipline music and sound effects and the voice work and the drawing and the everything it's amazing what they were able to pull off i i've never seen a a modern cartoon come close frankly um some animated films can pull it off but for your typical saturday morning cartoon i've never seen anything at that level in, in a modern era yeah, I had a friend come out of Baby Driver and just say like they'd never seen anything like it like on Twitter and then someone replied and it was just a list of all these Looney Tune cartoons that yeah. are synced as well as or and Baby Driver is an incredible film the way they took, you know, modern music across genres and uh-huh. literally matched every movement to changing beats and tones, but it was just funny to see Looney Tunes coming back as a as a reply to Baby Driver. <laughs> sure. No, I think, um, yeah, ahead, people, sorry. Well, it's okay. The the a 
turned a fair number of adults onto Looney Tunes. And it's one of those things where I have to cajole people and say, no, just really just sit down and watch three or four of them and pick three or four real classics just to sit down and watch. And they always come back and say, it's amazing work. I mean, everything in there, the, the dialogue, all the comic timing, everything is, it's amazing. It really is. Yeah. And and so your transition from someone who's watching Saturday morning cartoons, horror stuff at night, started working in film, uh, I, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but earlier than you got into gaming, what was that? Is that something you actively pursued or was it kind of a natural transition where you were on a film that did a game adaptation or you liked the challenge of working in the non-linear narrative structure? How did you find yourself, you know, working in the gaming space? Um, I think it came out of two it was a twofold thing number one games got to a point where the developers were starting to look at a in a much wider swath of of composers people they wanted to try using people from the film world or or from the television world or um even from the repertory world to come in and try it and that was something that I wanted to jump on because I've been a gamer since there were games. <laughs> right. It started with Pong and it's gone. Y- yes, I had a Pong machine. I'm that old. And uh, it's it's evolved from there. I still play games, uh, a lot of games. And uh, it's something that's been a big part of my life since I was, you know, 10, 11. And the idea of working in that medium and being able to do music too was super appealing. And and that's why when the opportunity came up, I jumped on it. So for someone who is, I think I said before we started recording, you know, that was born in 1990 or 2000, like baby you, and they want to get into gaming. What path or what tips would you give? Is it just classical training, get any job you can and then jump at gaming or is there training specifically for this video game medium. There's an interview with the the old heads of the developer Rare, and someone asked him like, "What what what do you look for when you're hiring someone? And what would you do to get this job?" And his answer was, "I would never hire me. <laughs> like the training is so advanced. Like I was just a kid, you know. I came out of like business school or whatever, and and now you focus on what you want to do and, and you do that. Is that the same for composing and scoring games? Um, I don't think so. Uh, it's you're still the general discipline of scoring to picture and how to sell an emotion or an idea as musically as part of the narrative is fundamentally the same for anything that's a visual medium. There's just technical aspects to each one that you have to take into consideration, like the looping thing. Um, And that's just about rethinking the music that you're writing to be um, more to, to be effective in the context that you're working within the game. I mean, I would say if you if you want to get into gaming, it's it's like any other musical discipline. Do your research first of all. Um, learn what's out there and how the scores are getting done. What's great about the internet now, which I didn't have coming into the system, is you can get a lot of insight about how composers work and watch videos online of them doing scoring sessions and working on their games and do a lot of um, research that way, tweak your production stuff when you're writing to be, learn how to write in a, in a loop, learn how to um, produce music that'll work 
um, production-wise, not just compositionally, that'll work well in a game. And, and what I always tell people, the most important thing in any industry is the relationships that you have. Uh, do whatever you can to go to gaming conventions, go to E3, things like that, where the developers are hanging out and other composers and people you can meet who are actually in the decision-making process. Because if you can forge those relationships and maintain them, those are the things that are going to eventually get you the work. Time and time again, that proves to be too, too true. It's uh, be prepared, have the skill set, that you need to have, but then have the person who can help you (laughs) get the job when the time comes. You need an advocate. It's that's super important. I, I would say that's the top of the list in terms of what you need to succeed is a strong, um, a strong circle of relationships of people who are making composer hiring decisions. That's. Yeah. None of us are alone. (laughs) Uh, last two questions as we chat over lunch, and I don't want to keep you for too long. One, current favorite game that you're playing. It doesn't need to be all-time favorite, but whatever. It doesn't even need to be come, have come out this year, even though 2017 has been incredible. And then to wrap it up, uh, if you want to let people know where to find you, keep up with your work, uh, listen to your stuff, get more information, things like that. Sure. Um, all-time favorite game. Wow. It doesn't need to be all-time. It could be just th- you, you played uh, Candy Crush today and you had a good run. Whatever Whatever is currently tickling your fancy. I just, well, I'm, I'm really close to the end. I had to stop. I'm playing this game called Inside right now. Yes. Uh, it is freaking awesome. And it's only, a, it's a 2D game and it's it's fantastic. And everybody I talked to said, you have to try this game. And it doesn't take very long. I think a playthrough is three or four hours. I've been doing it in little chunks. Um, well, I've had time, but it's an amazing game. Yeah, um, phenomenal and, and well-scored and atmospheric. And yeah, they well, kind of click all those boxes also. Yeah, everything is top-notch. Um, I, I'm trying to think back, like, I liked Fallout 4. I, I've always been a big Fallout fan. Um, yeah, I, I think... I mean, I've tried some other games along the way that were... They were okay. Um, but th- those two kind of stick out. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Persona uh, Waiting. I haven't started it yet, but I'm... What was that? I'm sorry, which game? Persona. Persona 5. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Another... That just oozes style. It's... Yeah. Yeah. Love it. It... It's long though. Goodbye. It's like a ten-hour intro. It feels yeah. like, and uh... <laughs> it's like you got to be willing to give up at least a couple entire weekends, um, yeah, floor to ceiling, just to even make make a dent in it. So, yeah. Are you coming home for Thanksgiving this year, dear? No, sorry, I've got a uh, hundred hours of Persona in front of me. I'll talk to you. And <laughs> there, done that. <laughs> uh, well, I'll let you get to Persona, but before that, where can people keep in touch or find out more about your work? Um, the best place is online it, on Facebook or Instagram. That's what I'm most active on. I I have a website, but haven't updated it for a while. I need to be more uh, active about that. But those two places are the best. Um, and I, you know, I, I try to keep current with my interviews and things like that. If If you just do a Google search, you'll find something recent, but generally just Facebook and Instagram. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, especially uh, hanging out over lunch here and chatting. And I I really appreciate your time and uh, your insight. Sure. Thank you. I appreciate it. Anytime. Anytime.